this is how valid is the validity. Oh my God, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Welcome home. Thank you. Just got back from the sunny country of Brazil. Wasn't really sunny. Prosima. I said it must have said it a thousand times. <laughs> after every song, after every time I met somebody, Muita Prazer, uh, Prosima, uh, Boa Noite, even if it was the morning, didn't matter to me. <laughs> I was gone for one week and things have gone to shit all over the place. You can't even, I don't even know the country anymore. I come back in the United States and everything was still there. I might move to Brazil one of these days. Might do it. Did you watch the show? I wasn't able to see it. So basically I went down to Brazil to uh, perform on uh, Fernando Sorocaba Live. Now I don't know if... If you've watched any of the shows that Andy and Tyler and I have done here in the living room, we've called them live from the sectional. This this was a, I'd say probably just one step up, maybe. Maybe just, you know, just a little bit more than what we were doing, uh, you know. Okay. There was 150 crew and uh, trains, and there were tracks. There were people. It was fun. And those trains looked awesome. It was really unbelievable, and it's literally right beside the farm. So, and I think they still run sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they were running. They did the Sorcaba thing, and if uh, you know, they brought him in on on that. But I mean, it, it's just amazing what he he thinks of. And, yeah, you know and the things that he has his, at his fingertips. Well, yeah, anything he wants, essentially. You know, matter of fact, I brought this to show you because you know Sorcaba has. Uh, the, you walk into the the, the farm now. And there's like 50,000 knives with, with FS on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because he's doing the whole Shuhasku sh- barbecue thing at all his shows, or he was. So they, they made this for us, Andy. Yeah. I love it. Chris Weaver Band. It's got it right on there. You can't see it, but it's on there. I like how it comes with a sheath that you could actually put on your belt if you wanted to. Here, put it over here. Can you put it on, <laughs> put it on that camera? Put it on that camera. Can you see it? Oh, shit. I'm a, n- no, no, we need it. We need a camera guy. And we're so close. We got to get Parker back one of these days for a camera guy. Anyway, so that yeah, they made that for us, and they gave me a cutting board. It was only, you know, what it was like trying to get that through customs. You know what's really crazy? Well, you know what? No, they didn't do anything. No. You're allowed to put knives in a bag, but you know what's really f- strange is I thought about this. I'm like, I walked all through that airport to get back on the, you know, because once you get back into the country, you have to get on another flight. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I thought, man, I just got two knives in here. This is, I mean, I I don't I don't know the security of this all because I mean, once you're in, you're in. Yeah, it's a little bit scary, a little scary, I guess. Now that's a knife. That's that's not a knife. <laughs> Do you 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 know that's one uh, that that line is actually one that is everybody misquotes because he says that's that's not a knife. It's something that nobody thinks it is. So the line that everybody repeats is not actually what it says. That said, Mandela effect. It is the Mandela effect. Yeah. I remember. Yes, exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, Brazil was interesting because COVID uh, in Brazil. You know, Brazil now is like the fifth 
it looks like the fifth as far as uh, 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 far as cases. Mm-hmm. Less deaths than the United States. Um, I don't think they're quite testing as much, though. Uh, COVID didn't seem to exist in some of the places there. Uh, kind of like similar to Missouri, uh, the Lake of the Ozarks, you know, where, where COVID had, hadn't, hadn't gone to yet. Uh, but but things aren't changing too much. As a matter of fact, you're starting to hear less and less about uh, the deaths because there aren't as many, and, and the cases are are, are blowing up uh, pretty substantially uh, because everybody now everybody's getting tested. So if you if you get a kit, uh, you know, you, you're you're gonna if you have it, uh, it doesn't matter, and if you don't have it, it doesn't matter. So nothing matters anymore. The only thing that matters now is uh, is are we going to be able to pay for all the the burning and and the looting and all that? It, who's going to pay for that? And I I, th- I really think it should be you. I think you should have to pay a few more dollars taxes. Me? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it wasn't me out there burning and looting. I'll tell you that. So so the 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 next phase the next phase of this is the uh, vaccine. So are you getting the vaccine? Are you going to do it? I uh, I mean I don't want to. Right. So uh, if if you have an option, you're not going to do it. If there's an option, then no. Right. So I, I think that that's kind of right now we're looking at from the polls that I've seen, uh, it's it's like a little over 50 percent that, that wouldn't do it if it, if it came out right now. Right. right. Uh, and, and so, I mean, my thing is like this. Do you remember when they would bring out new stereo equipment or or just any kind of new new piece of uh, electronics for instance mm-hmm. right anything new that just comes out you never want to buy that one yeah you want to wait for the next one right you want to wait for point two or point three or point seven or 2.0 whatever the case is i just want to see how other people react to it first and then then i'll make a decision i'm nobody's guinea pig I'll tell you that. Except for that Mexican street cart that's right down the street from you. Other than that, you, oh, yeah. that guy could cook anything new, and he'd eat it. He'd eat I'd it. Try it. I would definitely try it. We got Flip in the studio. Everybody, this is going to be one of the most interesting interviews I've ever done uh, through this whole program situation, only because uh, I have no idea what what we're going to talk about. Really, more so, what he's going to say. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. Uh, uh, so two things, the Brianna Taylor thing today happened in Louisville and they did not find the, the officers, uh, they were not convicted. So that that's going on uh, as we speak. Big surprise. Right. Because, you know, and, and then this is going to happen more and more and more and more, you know, with the George Floyd, that's, that's coming down to that too, at this point because of the fentanyl situation. Um, and now the Kyle Rittenhouse, the Kyle Rittenhouse, from two million, he's up to two million for that's, for defense. That's the Native American kid. No, or no, no, that's no. He's he's up to a, a billion. Oh, he's okay. Yeah, he's he's yeah, he's a different ballgame. Kyle Rittenhouse was the guy that had seventeen year old that shot those people up in uh, Kenosha, Kenosha. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, okay. uh, he he's up to two million dollars on a defense fund, and 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 this is interesting to me. So the guy that 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 did, the guy that defended that kid, the the Indian situation uh, he he was supposedly going up there to do kyle's rittenhouse's uh, trial for free that whole situation for free mm. pro bono uh i don't think i don't think he'll do that now i think you know the way things work now with attorneys the way people give money either side uh you i would just say i'll do it pro bono you don't have to pay me but that two million in there yeah i'm gonna want some of that yeah yeah uh, i'm gonna need 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 that 
I'm gonna you need pay that. nothing unless we win your case. <laughs> right. And so that's why, you know, you got people like Andrea who read all the documents and let you let the attorney know, like, this is the one. Yeah. This is it. You do this one. Here's your golden goose. Here's your here's a goose. Here's a goose to lay lay some egg. <laughs> yeah. So Ruth Bader uh, Bader Beta Ruth Beta. Is it the beta like a fish? Bader Bader Ginsburg. Boehner. Boehner Boehner Ginsburg. I I I don't mean to make light of it. It's uh I just I really didn't know how to say it. Uh, I probably should have looked that a little bit more. Uh, but you know people are. Uh, losing it now and, and you know what the interesting part about this is in truth and in, in all honesty uh so if you go back to 2016 when scalia passed away uh you know uh, obama was was leaving office and they everybody was saying all the democrats at that point in time were saying that that he sh- that obama should be the one to elect a new judge and he you know because it's same same situation and you have this whole litany, Joe Biden and and Elizabeth Warren and all these people saying, let him do it. It's the legal right, blah, blah, blah. And so now you get the same situation and all these same people that were saying the president should pick on his way out are now saying that the, it should be the new guy, uh, whoever's going to be elected because they, they're, they're hoping it's Biden to be able to do it. And people are freaking out because this could overturn uh, Roe versus Wade. Right. This, I mean, this is, a, this is a big deal. I mean, it's it's a six to four uh, a six to three at this point, uh, this could go, this is bad. People are losing, uh, losing it. They're losing it. So Andy, I uh, find it hard to believe that Roe versus Wade will be overturned, but totally possible now. Totally possible. Yeah. The, 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 the issue becomes, uh, it has to be, here, here's the problem. Uh, so you, you just had, you just had, uh, uh, uh president Trump that, that that signed in the law or signed the executive order that if a baby uh, lives through an abortion, that there's uh, some protection for that baby mm-hmm. now. Um, and, and, you know, it's gotten more and more into certain states um, that have said that you can basically abort a baby even it's out at, even at, if after it comes out. Right. Oof. Yeah. It's, it's really dicey stuff. Um, and, and stuff that I can't even get behind. I mean, you know, it's not, not a place I want to go. I mean, I'll let Flip answer all those uh, abortion questions, <laughs> but, uh, but, but, you know, so that, that he, he just did that. And some of that needs to be stifled. The third trimester abortions are rough and, and, and uh, do yourself a favor. Never watch any of that online. If you, if you see it, it's just even, even in the first trimester, it is one of the most difficult things to put your mind around, uh, regardless. Uh, anyway, point being that, you know, th- this Supreme Court, you're not just looking at that. I mean, there's numerous, there's numerous now Democratic, uh, you know, liberal social issues that are, are going to be up for uh, debate at this point. Anyway, bring up my computer here. I, w- I want to show you, this is a thing I found online. I thought it was just hilarious. Ah! Holy f- Ask your boyfriend. Listen to this. Who cares about her? Just you could have died any time. This is my favorite. I hate you, pro life. Here's my. Listen to this. I 
like the two-party system. I think our country's corrupt. And quite frankly, I don't want to vote for Biden. It feels like voting for a Republican. But I'm gonna do it. You want to know why? Why? Because the alternative is a fascist. A fascist is a fascist. Maybe we can have the conversation about... I love the fascism, and she's wearing Gucci uh, Dabana glasses with a, with a freaking six hundred dollar haircut. In a, you know, it's it's freaking six hundred degrees out. And she's wearing a turtleneck. Turn this shit off. Turn it off. Turn it. Off. Look at the. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Oh, Sinead O'Connor making a comeback. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. <laughs> You can fix that right now. You can take care of that right now. I wish I was aborted. Whatever, dude. Turn it off. I wish I was aborted. I wish I had been aborted. This is, I, I'm telling you. Now, look, I, I'm not picking on Democrats. I, this is uh, something that, that uh, Shapiro put together, and I just it was just funny because of all the clips or whatever. But, I mean, it's on both sides. Right, it's on. It's on both sides, and just these. We, I've told, I've said it before. We've unleashed the nuts of society <laughs> through all this, and and have done it in a way where they literally can't get in trouble for just for even shooting a guy in the back of the head. Literally, mm-hmm. they can't. Nobody can get in trouble right now, and uh, uh, it's just really super interesting. It's not interesting if you go walking down the street. Yeah, I mean, that's not cool, but, you know, and, and God forbid you wore a MAGA hat. I think if you really just wanted to end your life, but you didn't want to do it yourself, just go to Chicago, put a MAGA hat on, and you're not going to come back. Yeah, yeah. Legal assisted suicide. You're, right you're not coming back. You're not. that you Because <laughs> you can't get a police a suicide right now because the cops won't show up. Yeah. Right, you can't get a you can't get a police uh, escorted uh, suicide, but a MAGA hater will shoot you no problem, no problem. <laughs> I would just wear a sign on my back that said, "Make sure it's a gun and not a not a brick." Yeah. Can you please can you please shoot me and not uh, you know, people can laugh and stuff. Please have every all your friends, but just if you could shoot me, that would be great. And right here, and mark a little spot where you know <laughs> that it would take out. Where it would take out everything that you wanted. Jeez. Jesus, Cromany sakes alive, <laughs> Andy, Andy. <laughs> oh my God, Andy, Andy, breathe. This it was only a matter of time. It was only a matter of time before before. Uh, hold on for a second. Let me let me get this up here. Hold on. Let me get this up. I, nothing works today for me. I, I just got I, nothing works. Look at this. If I wanted to do this, I couldn't do it. Look. So it was only met. You ready? You yeah, got it. Just do it. All right. Here we go. Now there's no freaking way they're doing that. <laughs> Flip, they're ki- they're kissing with masks on. Play it again, huh? Play that again. It looks like Baker Mayfield. Look at his face. That's Maggie Malone's. <laughs> <laughs> look at that guy. <laughs> and it and it look, it's two Asian people too at the at the best, right? So I mean, there's you know, that's all. That's it. Well, they know. They've been wearing masks for years. That's right. Well, the reason I say that is because in China, it's mandated that you're supposed to wear a mask during sex. Oh. Yeah, no kidding. You ought to take some pictures of that, Flip. <laughs> That'll change your life. That'll change your life. I got to be honest with you. I, I, I'm, I am starting to feel wearing a mask on that plane ride to Brazil was probably 
the second worst thing that I've ever had to do in my life. Okay, <laughs> I'm not kidding you right now. And and the, uh, I'd say the first one w- was wearing a mask uh, coming back from Brazil. Uh, uh, not good. It, it was and those N95 masks are no joke. I'm telling you guys, if you can't breathe completely, you're not wearing the right mask because those those N95 masks are awful. They are awful to breathe through. But I feel like because I tell you why, Andy. I tell you why. Coming back on 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 Southwest, I knew that there was a guy in line. I knew it was going to be a problem. I knew it was going to be a problem. And and of course, I I I believe in the secret. So he I I looked at him. I thought this guy's going to be a fart machine. And he and he <laughs> he sat right in front of me on the plane. And 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 he must have let two or three. It's it felt like a guy died. But you know what? You know what I didn't smell when I put that N95 mask right there on my face? Farts. Fart? You didn't smell fart. Didn't smell a fart. N95 masks work. Okay? Wonderful. They work. Those other masks that everybody's wearing that it's like a tissue paper with some string on it? Mm -mm. No. Not work. But the M95 masks are harder to uh, breathe through, right? Oh, yeah. It's a bear. Yeah. It's a bear. I I mean, it, it, it was... It was a bear, and 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 everywhere outside. Look, if you go in public, this mask thing. I'm so going back to what I was saying. This I'm starting to feel the effects that the government has too much power, mm-hmm. because, uh, buddy, you, and I keep I keep thinking about this. This was just the first run of this. What happens if something really bad that really killed a million people, you know, and and your freedoms are gone. I mean, you you, you know you you there you know this closing beaches and and restaurants and all this stuff that that's been going on. That's nothing compared to something that would is re, would really and and is killing people. You know what I mean? And not just a certain group or or whatever the case is. And you see the death rate going down because now they have to report them correctly. Mm. That's the that's the crazy part. They're not taking away deaths. You know, because remember the guy that uh, had got that shark attack and he died of COVID. Right. That death's still on this thing, right? Interesting. No, they're not going to go back and fix it. No, they're not going to go back and fix it, but they, it's slowing down. I mean, last mm-hmm. week uh, on the show, it was it was two, 200, 3,000, and now it's 206,000. <laughs> they, they were talking about 2 million people. This yeah. was going to kill 2 million people. And the, and what, what they just wouldn't say is that it's going to kill 2 million people once we shove them all back in a resto. <laughs> That's the people that it was going to kill. And now the CDC comes back and says, uh, okay, maybe this isn't the airborne problem. I mean, this is just, this isn't right. You can't, they, at any point in time, the government can just come and say, "Eh, never mind, that wasn't correct. Or, you know what, now you have to do this. There are people wearing goggles now. Oh, yeah. Like, like snorkel goggles. There was a guy on a plane today that was wearing one of those big, huge masks. (laughs) There are people that are wearing masks that cover their face that look like they're getting ready to weld a boat. I'm not kidding you. It looks, I swear to God, it looks like they should have a yellow coat on and, and welding gloves. One of those big uh, face Oh, the face. Things. I mean, it's just, it, what the hell is going on? <laughs> I'm over it. And I'm sitting here with an N95 mask. Just the only thing that I'm thinking about is I'm wearing this because what, the farts. What were the characteristics of this guy that made you think and know that he was going to be a farter? You want to you wanna know the yeah. honest to God's what, truth? What, uh, yeah, what, what exactly? He had a you, Wendy's and a Chick-fil-A bag. Both, both with him. 
which means he went to Wendy's for one thing he liked, and and he stood and hopefully he stood in line at Chick Fil A first because that's all all the way down to <laughs> Chick Fil A's at at Gate Twenty One, and the line's down to B Six. <laughs> and that's what a seven hour flight, eight hour flight. Well, no, no, just coming in the United States, it was from Atlanta to here, so I only had an hour of farts. <laughs> But when you see when you see a person carrying two bags uh, from different stores, you know you got a machine, a fart machine coming. This guy is he's doing it on purpose. And let me tell you this. It did smell a little bit like chicken nuggets. I'm not going to lie. There was a little bit of fried food <laughs> ability to it. Gross. It's gross. Well, you know, there's there's no bigger of an a-hole than the guy that brings like uh, Burger King onto, uh, onto, onto the a, plane. Like, Burger King is the smelliest of the uh, fast foods in my opinion. You know, and it's like, dude, you're you going- say that, but you know what? It's the burps. <laughs> oh, God. It's the Burger King burps. That's the worst part about Burger King. <laughs> the flame broiled onions. Oh, there's no flame. Bro- that is not. You know what that is? They bring that thing out. You know what? <laughs> I, I don't even want to get into you these get things. Mad, you get but mad I'm, Burger I, King. When they pull one of those Whopper burgers out, the damn marks are already on it and the grill is flat. <laughs> there's nothing. That, that I bet when they cut it off the cow, their marks are on there. Whatever freaking hormonal cows they use. Idiots. They're breeding grill marks into the muscles of the cow. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Got to get you a Travis Scott burger, man. Hey, up to 7% of the KN95 mask from China don't meet U.S. health standards. Oh, great. I definitely had one of those on yesterday. One of the non, one of the seven percent for sure. You got to read the fine print, doesn't? <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I, I, you know, it's been a while since I've been on a plane, but the farting is just really ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, the farting. On, I mean, people you, just don't care. Well, it's not only that. I accidentally let one loose, and I laughed so f- freaking hard because it was bad. Was it because <laughs> you don't care, or was it an accident? Did you forget, no, you forgot where you were, or what? No, it, it's just I couldn't hold it in. And it came out, and, you know, I upgraded to first class, so I'm laying down. And so this is just, my ass is just right up in the aisle. You know, it's just like, I was like, and I was like, it was a little one, silent. And I'm like, there's no way. And I'm like, oh, my God. You just saw the two people next to me going, Bob, Bob is, what? God. (laughs) You know, they they had to clean the filter and the plane out while the plane was still moving. There's not enough suction in that bathroom to take out what I did. Poor people. I mean, that's whiskey for it. That's, I mean, that's all it is. This is awful. I have gotten off on a bad track. A bad track. Hey, man. It's life. It's real life. People well, deal with that. Yeah, I know. It is It is what it is. And, you, and when you eat as much meat as you do in Brazil, I mean, I was wondering I could even keep it together coming back. <laughs> keep them together. What else did I want to go over before Flip comes up here and ruins everything? Ruins everything. I think that's about it. I think I've had enough of the. Uh, you doing all right? I'm doing good. 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 I'm doing good. I it wouldn't matter to me either way. It's just, <laughs> I just wanted to wanted a yes or no answer out of you. There was a you you said there was a clip. And I don't know if I have it. What before before we have flip on? Oh yeah, it's uh it, it's in folder twenty four on the on the OneDrive on the OneDrive okay. on the OneDrive. Um. Uh. So what we got here is oh let me just show this one other one. I just wanted to, because this reminded me of you. This reminded me of you. Oh, great. Yeah. It just it, just and a little bit. It's a natural thing, of course. I mean, I mean, I could work out all day, and obviously I'm a... I'm, I'm a <laughs> <myself>. <laughs> Wait a minute. Play that again. I was looking and at something else. It's a natural thing, of course. I mean, I mean, I could work out all day, and obviously I'm a... Hey! <laughs> <laughs> myself. 
One more time. One more time. I just imagine you going to the gym for the first time, being a little rusty. You're back there. I got this. I got this. No problem. Let me just uh, hop on up. Ah! <laughs> Did you see him trying? Like he, I mean, what do you think? Like, look at it. Just one more time. One more time. Look at the woman. Look at the woman. And it's a natural hey, babe. Course. I mean, I'll you know, see you on the other side. Check me out. Myself. Smooth, dude. Real smooth. All right. All right. All right. Oh, my God. That's so good. That's so good. That's so good. I love when people are trying to be cool. Mm. <sighs> well, you know, I mean, I got to get back into the gym. And I'm do the first thing I'm going to do before I get on the treadmill is make sure it's not running. It's not running. <laughs> that is the first thing. It's going to be my first thing. All right. All right. We'll be right back. And uh, we'll have Flip on. And we got, dude, this is going to be the coolest thing ever. I'm really excited. Let's get him going. Call us today. Even if we can't help you directly, we will help you find someone who can. At the Verdoliac Law Group, we've withstood the test of time by honoring our commitment to put our clients' interests first. That's why most of our clients over the last 50 years have found us through word of mouth from other satisfied clients. In the last half a century, thousands of law firms have come and gone, while the Verdoliac Law Group has cemented itself as a Chicago legal landmark and we look forward to our next 50 years of serving you. If you want a law firm that has stood the test of time and will fight for you, call the Verdoliac Law Group. This is how valid is the validity. Everybody, uh, Flip, Flip Wilson. <laughs> Same time. My parents swear that's not where my, my name came from. But he had a TV show when I was a baby. So, uh, it, right. So, is is Flip... Uh, not on my birth certificate. Can you turn him up a little, just yeah. a tad for me? Yeah. Not on the you birth gotta, certificate. Yeah, you got to get up in there. Yeah. Uh, so, where, where did the name Flip come from? That I mean, from being young? I mean, like... Depends on how much whiskey ah, and who's talking. Who's talking about it? Yeah. I got you. I got but you. But the, the word is, it was my grandfather, because I was hyperactive at like a month old. And my name is Philip. Right, so if Flip comes from Philip, right, or doesn't? I, I don't know. I don't know of any other just, Phillips. You know what? I apologize. Yeah. I apologize. <laughs> so I, I met Flip uh, in Mexico uh, about a month ago, right, which I'm just now starting to heal from. Heal from. I'm just slowly having memories from that. Oh, man. I mean, yeah, you definitely. I mean, you had to be down there for a, a, a long time. I, I'm, I'm surprised you're, you know, you're functioning correctly. But... Um, Anyway, so that was the first meeting I've ever had with you. That's the first time I ever met you. I never, you know, whatever. And so uh, you, how did you meet Josh from the Standard? Is so, it, yeah, that's the Standard. Yeah. So, I mean, like a lot of people were become members at the Standard. Yeah, I, yeah. Was, I was brought in by some members, and I'm, I'm in Nashville on a project. And so I came in. That was one of the first places I came. And So you, you how, how long have you known Josh? Three years. Oh, yeah. shit. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you've been yeah. working on the Nashville project for three years? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Secret project. It was supposed to be a year-long contract, and it's turned into a lot longer. Yeah, obviously. It's an amazing progress. We can talk about that another time. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, absolutely. It's a, but yeah. but your, your, your main thing is photography. But, that you know, that who who did the video stuff in that? That's a Georgian, not American Georgian, but the country, Republic of Georgia, yeah. filmmaker from Georgia. Um, is actually uh, Carrie Underwood's guitarist, Ed Eason. No He kidding. was the one that set it up because 
he's been begging me to like let some filmmakers follow me and i'm like man i just don't do that i don't do interviews i don't i don't do that stuff but he talked me into it he uh and we found this guy in Georgia, and he went with me for a few days on this expedition that I've been on. So set that up. What, yeah. what was it that you were trying to accomplish with this? Just to, let's just get into it. What 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 was that all about? Well, that th- that video is um, it comes from a it's a teaser video that'll be played at at an exhibition that I'll do of this of these expeditions I've been taking with these um, nomadic shepherds. And uh, the story started out as a National Geographic style story for True Magazine. And then once I got into it, I decided to turn it into something different just because of personal reasons and what I was learning about my own life and faith and everything. And so this this video is made, it's it's not really perfect, but it's it's made to express sort of that personal thing that I learned on those expeditions and and it reaches into a whole lot more than just the nomadic shepherds. It's like I travel to a lot of countries, work on a lot of different things, and and uh, so that that video was expressing some of the poetry of of what has happened to me in my relationship with these shepherds, and specifically their dogs. Their dogs is is what my my exhibition has really become about. No kidding. Yeah. So, how long have you been going to that specific area? Since 2014, I've made. Um, three expeditions with this same shepherd group and I've been with three generations of the dog group that protects them. Protects the the flock and the people. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. What kind of dog is it? So it's a, it's called a Georgian mountain dog and not to get too academic, yeah, but, sure. uh, um, and somebody asked me actually last night, a girl was like talking to me and I was like, Oh, you know, like, that must have been like so peaceful when you went you know, <laughs> with the shepherds. And I was like, actually, I was kind of going in search of solitude and peace. And I had the same stereotype in my mind. I thought if I can find the last great nomad shepherds, I'm going to find wisdom and peace. Yeah. Well, doubt. if you, I don't know what your like religious background is, but in the Bible, like it talks about Jesus says he's the good shepherd. Yeah. Now I know why that's, there's a qualifier on that. Really? Shepherds aren't good. They're like <laughs> they're like the worst human beings on the planet. No like even kidding. now, like today. So the shepherds I've been with, they're called the shepherds of Tusheti. They roam across war zones. They don't recognize borders. They roam between the Black and Caspian Seas. Um, so the former Soviet Union, like from Azerbaijan, across the Republic of Georgia, up into Chechnya. And they are all like, most of them are ex-soldiers or just people who can't get a job. And they live the most horrendous, awful life. And the dogs, they're not herding animals. They don't, like, guide the sheep at all. They're protectors. So people who have farms in the U.S., like in Montana and places, they're starting to use these dogs. They're called guardian dogs. Yeah. They, they date back to the first dogs. Like, when you look at Greek mythology and, yeah. like, these, and you, you go, like, into Turkey and the Kangal and northern Iraq and... So these dogs, all they do is they live to protect the sheep. And so they're they're semi-autonomous. Nobody trains them. They live like a wolf pack, and they're direct descendants of wolves. And they function. When you when we first showed up, the dogs want to kill you. So the shepherds have to protect you from them until the dogs know that you're part of what they're Holy guarding. Holy God. And so they often, like, get in fights and kill each other, and but they fight wolves and bear and and bandits holy god but they've they've become symbolic to me of sort of ultimate sacrifice they're like the ultimate warriors 
they and what's crazy about them is they're shepherds, and we can get into that, but like the shepherds aren't really kind to them because they want them to be mean. Mean, that's right. And so there's a perception that they're like that that's all they'll do is kill. But the reason that the dogs have become so important to me is that the alpha of the pack on my first expedition saved my life, protected me from another dog group, and then became like tender with me. And then her puppy, her firstborn, whose name was Mardo, when I went back for the sex, second exhibi- exhibition, expedition, um, recognized me. And the shepherds that were with them like couldn't figure out like they were well, almost ha- pissed like that this dog came and was tender to me and let me go into her den with her her newborn and now I've been with the third generation. Holy cow! Who's actually named after my daughter? Like Sopo is her name. They let me name her. But anyway, so you're yeah. the dog whisperer. You're the I, big. I, you're the you're the killer dog whisperer. Killer dog whisperer. So my my thing is, you know, you say that about about their attitudes and and they're mean and that kind of thing, but th- I mean that that. What that guy said was pretty poignant. Like, what, what, were, were these guys soldiers and they can't get a job because they did something bad or just because? No, they just, they're, they're just, they don't have any, they're nothing. I mean, one, they're, these are poor countries. Like, most of these places, I mean, we live in America, man. We are living in, yeah, yeah. in the most privileged place in the history of the universe. I mean, it's like the history of the world. We, we really have been born with special lottery tickets when we're born in America. And most of the world, even wealthy countries, um, the, the division in, in wealth and poverty is great. And so in a place like the Republic of Georgia, Chechnya, I mean, Azerbaijan, it's like the poor are poor and they're always going to be poor. These guys just have no opportunity, no education or anything. So, and sheep are a commodity still in yeah. that, in that regard, huh? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, and these sheep are some of the most sought after in the world. They got these great big butts. And it, funny story is that, when we, when we first went, I took a buddy of mine with me, Noah Darnell. He's a photojournalist. Um, he's actually the nephew, no, the cu- first cousin of the guy, Barrett 50. Weird oh, the 50 family. Cal. Yeah, yeah. yeah the guy yeah. Invented, who was a photographer, by the way. Do you know that? I did not. He invented that gun in his garage. He's a professional photographer who liked guns. And invented, anyway, the whole family is like super, super, like super mathematical, like smart. Anyway, Noah's with me. And when we when we got there... And we were talking about the sheep, and I was like, I always have these gut feelings when I'm working on stories. And sometimes the gut feeling is so bizarre. It's like not rooted in any reality. But it's not like I'm reading anything. It's Sure. I think I'm just picking up on stuff. And we were at a dinner, and I said, you know, I want to find out if, uh, and I didn't know anything about the sheep at this point because I don't do any research before I start working right. on story. And uh, we're like on the border near Chechnya. And I'm like, I wonder if um, if some rich Saudi prince has ever flown a 747 to Tbilisi and emptied the of the seats and put a bunch of sheep on it to take back. <laughs> like it was just the most radical, weird thing. And Noah's like, you're nuts. And two months later, toward the end of our expedition, we met a guy and I, I kept posing this to people. And he's like, oh yeah, that's actually happened. And he was the guy that organized it. So somebody actually took a 747, yeah. took the seats out, From put a Saudi bunch of Saudi Arabia. Of course. Yeah, of course. More money than God. Yeah, yeah. Like brought a plane, emptied it of its seat, and filled it full of sheep because there was no, tra- there was no trade relationship. It was totally illegal. It was black market. And these sheep are actually trafficked through um, Azerbaijan. They're sold on the black market. 
and then they're taken to Iran. That's like one of the biggest markets for them is Iran. And it's at the most of the shepherds of Tusheti are are um, Orthodox Christian, but they sell them and they're used in on the feast table of for like Muslim, Muslim ceremonies. Right. So I've actually been trying to to follow the sheep all the way to Iran, but I'll be beheaded. Um, not, I mean, Iran's a, is not as bad a country as the news makes it out to be, but the regime that runs it is. And you know, being wow. a journalist and looking like what I look at, like, I yeah. mean, I would, I would be arrested in like. So know, anyway, yeah. So how did you? You know, everybody has different ideas and dreams and goals as they're growing up, and you get into things, and then the next thing you know, you you you're, you're making a living at it or whatever the case is. I mean. Let's get back to the the basic here on how did the hell did you get into or realize like I'm doing this this is happening I'm going to different parts of the world seeing things that nobody else would ever imagine seeing and and then and then you made a this whole world with it and 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 one that honestly you've controlled so much with the with the you know the photographs and stuff you don't let them out I mean there's all these different things how far back does this go when you realize like this is what I'm gonna do. I'm I'm doing this. I'm making a. This is my life, right? I mean, when, yeah. When, I don't know. I mean, you 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 probably have a similar story. Like, how did you become a musician? And totally different. Famous? I mean, totally different. I mean, that does you know, music. You grow up in it, whatever. And and usually, you know, there's chicken wire. You know that maybe you don't get a, a bottle thrown at you. I mean, you're 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 going into places where most people would just never that you'd never go, right? I mean, that that's you, that's what you're you've done i mean what at what point in time what what success did you have uh that that was like god i'm you know i'm good at this i'm i'm i can yeah i'm a I, i'm I'm, a, I'm an observer and very early on like i mean i've always been a creative person but i have a in myers-briggs i have that rare personality type my daughter and i both have it infj it's like the rarest of it's like one percent of the human population you know has this and it's a we're like a contradiction in terms or like big picture people who like want to get things done. So, <laughs> right, right, and right. so I actually studied to be an architect, but long before that I've always been creative and I've always been curious and I'm curious to the point of, I just don't care about making a living. I am obsessed with knowing why I'm here. It's always been from the time I was five years old. I mean, I've just been obsessed with quite sort of the ontological questions of God and the universe. And it's just always driven me. So Early on, I decided I wanted to be a poet, whatever that was. And I, I think that's what I'm becoming. So because right, of my curiosity, yeah. I, I, uh, I became a person involved in information. I was always a writer. And, um, but I was never an artist, like a painter or anything like that. I was always a writer. And I, I started my career in Washington, D.C. as an analyst. That's the easiest way of putting it. Right. And that quickly turned into... Like I wanted to be a journalist. It's it's sort of a, I don't know. I, I find like a lot of young people are like, especially young guys, they want to be Navy SEALs or whatever that is. Right. You know I mean, they want to be like super soldier or they want to like, they want to do something dangerous and stupid and go in other countries. And journalism is one of those avenues. And so I think I kind of went down that path because I was, I just wanted somebody to pay me like to go do stupid shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and then then it just started to happen. Like, and uh, I started, I performed well early on, which means basically I risked my life and did stupid stuff and came back with like <laughs> really interesting things. And then people were like, they just kept paying me. And then one day I'm just like, 
I'm not really better than everybody. I'm actually the worst photographer you'll ever meet. It's like, I'm terrified. I break into sweats when people ask me, can you teach me about like taking pictures? I'm like, oh shit, not this. Either. I don't know how to use the camera. I don't know. Well, I mean, why is the camera, does it, does it, I guess uh, one thing I was wondering was, do you find it hard to, as time has progressed and, and everybody has a camera now, and they all think they're photo. Everybody thinks they're a photographer, right? I mean, do you do you even see things sometimes and go, "Oh my God, it's just too much. There's too much. There's too many pictures." It, but when and then you try to take something that's serious or the art form that it's become for you, and does it make you just not want to do it anymore, or is that no. is nothing like that's ever really? No, because you know it's it, no matter what you're doing. I mean, you know this as a musician, like the same guitar, and you can pick it up. And you could even play the same exact finger-picking notes or whatever as the person next to you. But it's going to be totally different. And a person that's got soul and their gut is driving it, I I really believe that, like, the the tool is just the thing between you and whatever is true out there. It's like, if your heart is in it, you're reaching through that tool to grab that thing that you're trying to express and say it. And it's like... So to me, like um, one of the reasons why I'm I guard my images the way I do, and I don't get them out there, is that I don't want to. I I have I have no interest for anybody's attention. So when I do want to speak, I want it to be clear. I don't want a lot of, a lot of noise around it. I want to create my own environment and let the photos and the stories speak for themselves. That's why I exhibit the way I exhibit. But but now I don't feel competition because I think that um, anybody can push a button and collect a frame. But that doesn't mean that it's um, saying anything, you know. Okay, and, and and so that brings up the other point too. Explain a little bit on how you do these exhibitions. You know, like why you know because you were talking about how big the pictures were, and, yeah. and not you, and then you destroy the prints and all that kind of stuff. You know, get a little insight on that. Yeah, and it's I I can make it sound so intellectual and like I know what I'm talking about. I just made this stuff up as I'm going along. That's fine. Like, that's I mean, I that's even, the best stuff. I don't even know. So here's how it came about. So. Um, I was very successful at what I do, meaning, you know, people hire me and they send me to places to get stories, news stories. Early on, I'm like, this is fake. I mean, I come back and tell my daughter, I'm like, I'm, I'm in fake news. Long before fake news was in fake news. Fake news was fake news. I'm actually saying the phrase, it's fake news because I'm somewhere choosing a perspective and, you know, telling a story. And it all came to a head for me at Hurricane Katrina. So I was one of the Associated Press photographers in New Orleans when the levees um, broke. So Joe Goldstein, who's one of the chief crime writers in the New York Times, like one of my best friends, he was a writer. I was a photographer. And the stuff that you see is true. You can see it. It's true. It just wasn't all the truth. So drama is like what news is all about. Right. And when that's all you say, you like you don't see the the whole story. And so one of the things that the AP never published that Goldstein and I worked on was right after like the week after the levees broke, it was balls to the wall party on Bourbon Street. National Guard was there, they had nothing to do. The US Peace Corps, first time in the history of the Peace Corps, was on US soil. Nothing to do. The Humane Society had like an army of like lunatic. Sorry, they were just strange people. <laughs> like an army of people there to rescue animals. And it was legit. Like animals need to rescue. But it was like all these people had nothing to do. 
and Goldstein and I start like the strip clubs were open. So we're going into the strip club. But clubs, the news is showing all this stuff. And is we're just... like, we're photographing. I have these photographs of of National Guardsmen buying souvenirs, like in the souvenir shops. They just didn't have anything to do. Trucks, hundreds of semis like lined up waiting because it was they couldn't get in to get the debris. Yet. Anyway, the point is, is that it was, but that story didn't fit that drama. So it was never done, just shelved. So and, can you believe the news anymore? I mean, you don't no, even watch it. No. I have nothing to do with the news because, so for example, just I was I was on a during the the protest whatever you know right I shouldn't be so dismissive well no that's fine but I mean it's what everybody's Nashville, starting to understand what it so, is now <laughs> on a, in a, on a particular protest in in Nashville in June it was uh I was I put on my hat for one of the big publications and. Decided I would I would provide them some images for it, but by the end of the night I was like I'm not going to submit these images because I know what they're going to do with them. And then when I saw the column written about this event, I was like I'm glad my photos aren't illustrating it because it wasn't. When you reduce it to its sort of like narrative and it just wasn't true. It was partially true, but it was you know it was no context. Yeah, there's right. no context, and I'm only interested in in the bigger picture. And news doesn't get down to the real question at people. And this was sort of the turning point for me. So I, I left after Katrina. I mean, I was, I, I, I was on the verge of a breakdown. I mean, it was, it came years later actually, but it was on the verge of, so I went home Christmas to 2005, told my family. I'm like, at that point I was divorced, but still like good friends with my wife and um, I had a young daughter I'm taking care of. And I'm like, I'm going to quit. I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's what, so I, in 2006, I just quit, started wandering around the world and it, led to this other career that was unexpected. And that's, so to answer your question about what I do with photos is that I started doing these private contracts and I would take them anywhere. And so a lot of them are like, I was in Bosnia, I was in China and like I I did some stuff for the state department and it was like borderline propaganda. I mean, I'm like, I was in, I was in China with the Harlem boys choir traveling around with them on an official tour, photographing them. And then they were having me speak on journalism in Chinese universities. It was nuts. It was like, I was at the MIT in of like China speaking about journalism. It's like, I'm not really qualified for this. Do they, but do this they, is do they tell you what you're going to say? No, no. They no. let you say whatever you want to say. Yeah. In China, in China. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Now we were, we had people following us around and I don't do social media or anything. So I couldn't have like put any of that out. And if I would have said anything against the communist government, I mean, I would have been censored or stopped or whatever. But so as I was traveling, I used those opportunities to start exploring things on my own. But they take they look at all your pictures. No, really? No. So you got the you went in there, took pictures wherever you want and left that country and nobody knew what you took. Oh, yeah. Holy crap, Ola. I got some amazing stories that I've, that I've actually never published from that. And that's part of this thing. Is I, I've been since since 2006, most of what I do isn't published. Because I, even when I do these contracts, I, I do it for a client, and that's published for them. But I, I do these things on the side, and I've just, I haven't known what I'm doing. I'm just collecting them, like in China. So I was raised, I was raised Methodist and Catholic. And uh, I mean, Methodist. So you then, fit right into China. You fit right in. And, uh, <laughs> but like, I, I, my faith is like a big question mark in the past. And so at that point, I was like sort of exploring my faith. And I, you always hear stories and they're never true. And so, and I heard, well, that shouldn't say they're never true, but they're, they're never fully right. true. 
And I heard stories about, you know, China and the underground Christian church or whatever. Well, part of that was true. Like it was fascinating. So everywhere I went, I just like hooked up with these people that had these house churches. And it was amazing because it's like, I learned something about faith that I never knew. It was really powerful, deep people. And so I have all these stories that I started collecting, but I didn't know what to do with them. So I would just come home and my family and friends became like, you know, I wasn't publishing this stuff, but I would, it was like I was doing private dispatches yeah. for individuals. Talk, give it a, just a little piece of China. Everybody, China is such in the news right now all the time. We're, we're, they hate us. We hate that. Whatever the case is, what is it really like dealing with officials and being around in that country? I mean, I know it's not North Korea, but I, at the same time, how, what's the feeling over there? And okay. You, so China is one of my, <laughs> sorry, I gotta be really careful because I, I, I travel and, yeah, I understand. And people do watch things, and I, I yeah, want to yeah. keep traveling. But China, I'm not a fan of China. And not because I'm anti-Chinese. It's it's just, I don't like the food. I don't like the landscape. It's the flattest country. I mean, when you get near the Himalayas and, and then out toward the Gobi, there's some beautiful parts of China. But the North American continent is freaking paradise. Like, we really, we don't know how great like this country is. I mean, I, I'm like, I'm not some flag waving patriot. Maybe I am, but it's like China is just not, not a, just not a really not, fascinating country geologically. But I mean, the as food. far as but the people here's the though, point. The, it, that country is so big. There's so many people. Nobody can watch everybody. It's just like not possible. That's why the Chinese government is so intent on AI and facial recognition. That was going on when I was there in 2000. 2010, 2011, but it's so big. I mean, so in the U.S., you think of like our biggest cities. Like what's the population in New York? 20,000, 20, 21,000. 20, 21 million. million. 21 yeah. Million. So like that is a, that's a middle tier city in China. I mean, it's like China has so many cities that are 10 million people. Like we can't even what imagine is, what, what the is, amount of The population of China is what, 700,000? Or no, or seven hundred million? No, no, no. China is like, is it a billion? Two billion or something or no, I mean, not like, two it, billion. It's in the billions. It's maybe one point one billion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but but it's because India is probably one point seven billion. No, China is the biggest. China is the biggest. Yeah, one point three nine three billion. That's of twenty eighteen. Uh, yeah. Okay. China, so, but look at just, India, Andy. Look at India. So, have you you've been to India too? I have never been to India. No. Really? Yeah. Is that uh, on the bucket list? About the same, one point three three five three billion. Whoa! Oh, it's huge. Much smaller landmass. That's crazy. Yeah, because yeah, China is a much bigger landmass. Um, but you yeah. can't live in most of it, right? I mean, in that China's got you know because up north, obviously, you're you're in this. It's a, it's all just blizzard world, right? No, not really. You're not that far. I mean, China doesn't have Arctic any Arctic area. Mm. So, um, what's called Inner Mongolia, which is the northern Mongol- part. That's right. You know, it's uh, but it's like. You're right near Siberia, like when you're in Harbin, China, but it's it's not. not I mean, it gets much. cold, but it's not it's not Arctic. There's no Arctic. Part. I got you. I got you. And most of the population is on the the eastern part. So between Shenzhen in the south, and you know, and um, Qingdao in the you know the north, where the beer is from, Qingdao beer. What, what about so? It, but China's funny because they uh, they're everything is dual language, so it's in Mandarin Chinese and English, all over the country. Well, yeah, but they, uh, everybody over there knows like sixty thousand languages, there, right? I mean, it's a, <laughs> but it's, but it's well, I mean, I, but I'm it's not, poorly done. So they have English writing speaking consultants 
but you'll go into some cities and the English is so bad on the street signs and everything. And like the menus, it'll be like the chicken likes its thin skin moist. <laughs> That'll be the menu item. You're like, it's a statement, not a food. But what, yeah. that sounds like when I cook. A so, little bit of insight as far as what we were talking about, the uh, as far as the uh, population goes. Look at 8 million uh, as of 2018 in New York. And then you're looking at eight, only eight million. New yeah. York City, New York City, really? Uh, Beijing, twenty-one and a half million. What's well, I mean? Sao Paulo's twenty-two million. Yeah, it, but it's I mean, the third largest city in the world. I, New York's only eight million people. That's but that's that uh, since, but that's not a, the greater that, New York area. Like they're they're always bigger when you and have all the boroughs. Right? It's like Mexico City. It's isn't it like thirty some million. But if you say Mexico City, proper, I thought New like, York was at least well, nineteen million. I thought for sure. Sao Paulo, twelve point. 20, I want to know who's counting all these people. Million. I don't. They're guessing. They got to be. It couldn't be that census guy that they sent to my house because he did not look like he could count past. But 10. I was in Wuhan, so I was in Wuhan, where this thing was where COVID yeah. broke out. And as soon as it broke out, so my daughter, who's a a grad student um, at an unnamed university in psychology, and uh, so she she's really conservative. Yeah. <laughs> I love my daughter. Super conservative daughter you have. And before any of the news broke about it, I said, let me show you something in Wuhan, China. I said, this is where this market is. I brought up on Google Maps. It's like, this is where this market is. It's oh, the know, wet market. Yeah, I'm like, you know what's right next to this wet market? She's the, like, what? And I'm like, the lab. The central lab yeah. in the whole country, because I already knew it was there. And that was before the news broke. And she's like, Dad, you're being a conspiracy theorist. And then when the news broke, she called me and she was like, what the heck? I'm like, <laughs> I'm telling you, like, when you're in the business of information, and that's the business that I've been in most of my life, like, there, you see big things and patterns, and there just aren't coincidences. Right. And it's that, when I saw that, I'm like, I don't care what anybody in the world says, this thing didn't come from this wet market. There's just no way. It's like the it's just there are no coincidences. Sure, and no. it's like that doesn't I, mean I, I that it was on purpose. Like who can prove absolutely on purpose? But absolutely on purpose. But the reality is there's no conspiracy here. Yeah, yeah, on purpose. Yeah, and it was to it was made to kill people's grandparents. I believe that. I take out some weak people and their grandparents. I, I that you know. I don't want we to can't talk about turn it. off patterns. I mean, it's that there there are patterns, and people evaluate patterns. And when we when we reduce things to like simple news stories, and we like that's actually avoiding science. When people talk about science, it's like the science of math and patterns is well. The thing about evident, and, and not so. to get deep into this, but Wuhan goes all the way back to after World War II. That's how freaking crazy this is. There's stories about you know the it's Germans. It's a bizarre and, city. Oh, it's man. unbelievable. I mean, when I was there in, in 2010, they had built entire city outside the city where they had a reproduction of some famous Viennese opera house, this massive museum. It was like a whole city. And it was like empty. It was no population. There were housing and everything. It was, it was like something out of Blade Runner, but inverted. Like it wasn't dirty. So, it was, so do they do that to show other people like that? That's what they're, they're all cultural and all this stuff. And then you go into the cities and they're not. I don't know. It's bizarre though, because the cities are the the poverty in China is through the roof. Oh my gosh, yeah. the poor are poor, poor, poor. I mean, there are wealthy people in China because there's so many people, but it's most people and and they do bizarre things with facades of buildings. They do this in Eastern Europe too. Like you go to um, Tbilisi and uh, Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv, Republic of Georgia. 
You go to downtown and it's all these beautiful buildings. They look like, you know, beautiful stone and granite and everything. And it's styrofoam. They literally like cover these broken, crappy buildings with these literally like movie. They it's just exactly movie what sets. you do in in movie sets. And they and then you walk in the doors and they're like shitholes. Sorry for swearing. No, you're fine. Swearing. You're fine. Like total like garbage. And China has a lot of that too. And it's sort of so what's the point yeah. of that? Just just for image. The, yeah, image. just image. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Strange as all. I need to do out. that to this house before I sell it. <laughs> So, uh, what is, give me the best story that just makes people mouth drop every time you, you tell it or, or a story that you haven't told that much that you just, you want to, I want to, I want, I want to know some of this stuff, right? I, I want to know, I, I, cause here's how I picture you, especially the first time I met you. I picture you like this old house with, with 30,000 rooms and, and you, you tell me I get to pick whatever room I want. And so I'm I'm just trying to figure out what I'm just opening the doors a little bit. I want to see what the rooms are like before I feel my vibe. You know what I mean? But I, I want to know like one story, and this is hard to do, right? But you've been have all these experiences. What's one story that when you that when you think about it or when you tell it that you're just like this is this is some I can't believe it happened to me because you've had to have that, right? Yeah, I mean it's okay. So this isn't answering the story, but it gets there. So there's a movie in the '70s called Being There. And I forget the the actors. You can look it up. It's called Being There. And it's um this guy from the State Department, Damian Merlo. I'm going to tell him to watch this. He's not with the State Department anymore. He's one of the most interesting guys in the world. You need to get Damian on here. <laughs> I, think he, I think I can say it. he's a speechwriter for Jeb Bush. But he's I call him a kingmaker. So he... um Brother Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So Damian Merlo is just this interesting guy. And he's... Uh, He's really close friends with, well, he's just, he's a kingmaker. He works, he works um, on campaigns, mostly in developing countries, like helping people get elected, like to be president. He's a really strange, wears a lot of hats. Anyway, <laughs> so we're in Haiti and I was working for the prime minister. He's working for the prime minister of Haiti. And he's like, hey, there's a movie I want you to watch. This movie is about your life. And I felt like so puffed up because he's such a cool guy. Right. It was like, he's like being there, watch this movie. So I go like download it and watch it. And here's the plot line. Peter Sellers is like, is mentally deficient. <laughs> and he is, yeah, this he's, guy this, must, you got, he's a to gardener him. for some millionaire. And the, the beginning of the movie is he's just watching TV all the time. And he memorizes lines from sitcoms and everything. And that's how he speaks. Like he answers with lines from, from other you know, movies. from movies or whatever. But he's he's like an idiot. I mean, he's he's dumb. And but he's when this guy dies, he he gets cast down the street, and he gets hit by a car by this rich woman who's connected in politics, and they they're afraid he's going to get he's going to sue them, so they take him to their mansion in uh, Georgetown, Washington D.C., and as he speaks. He says things and he's mistaken as saying something wise, like it's fall now and the leaves are going to fall. And they'll ask him something and he'll like answer and they think he's giving some like deep economic advice. So he ends up on TV shows, he ends up becoming an advisor to the president. Anyway, but he's, he's just a total idiot. And I watched this movie and I'm like, geez, Damien, man, like what are you saying Why? about me? But it's like, I, that's kind of the story of my life is that I, I don't network, I don't try to do things. And I literally, like, I was befriended by 
the the princess of Siam, the granddaughter of the former king of Thailand, who I met through a friend when I was working there. Like this stuff happens to me all the time. And I just follow it. I follow it. And it's like, I literally can't take any credit for where I end up and the cool stories I have. That's why I said yes to you. It's like, I had this weird gut feeling. It's like, I never do interviews. My daughter, daughter's like, what interview? I'm like, what is that? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I like him. He's a cool guy. And like, <laughs> we'll, we'll probably like discover something together and it'll end up like really cool. But it, it happens to me. But I, I worked for the prime minister, which is kind of funky. And um, we become good friends. We have a book coming out. Actually, I'll pitch it like a yeah. Sure, we have a sure. book being released uh, in November. If it all goes well, there's a bit of a holdup right now. The book is in. It was printed in China, and uh, <laughs> it. But uh, Sean Penn wrote the forward to it, and oh. uh, it's co-written with me and the and the prime minister because I worked with him for three years. But it's kind of a cool book. Just a random factoid: the uh, endorsements that are on the back of the book. Get your head around this, Noam Chomsky. General Wesley Clark, Richard did, Branson, how did and, you get that? And Tony Blair. I mean, they couldn't be like from different universes. I mean, it's like General Wesley Clark and Noam Chomsky. I mean, how, no, how did you get that though? How? Because of uh, mainly because of Lawrence and Sean Penn, because they're involved in the book and and but he's he was aware of the work that was going there. But the cool story about working for the Prime Minister was that. When I when I checked out, literally when I quit my job with like no safety net and didn't know what I was going to do with my life, somebody invited me to Haiti in 2006, and a uh, former Peace Corps worker working with the uh, the UN. So I just flew to Haiti and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was just wander around, and I ended up like meeting this family of arms dealers, these rebel like like I, they just took me into their house and they declared me like a son. So I made Haiti my base. I would just fly back and forth as I go around the world. I end up back in Haiti, but I had no purpose. I wasn't working on a story or anything. Yeah. And then I just started doing some things for the UN and the government, like because Haiti was on the verge of like destroying the world. Haiti's an interesting country because it's so poor, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, but so much goes through there. I mean, it's like a drug trafficking hub. It's, I mean. And it's so unstable. It's like we've always been afraid as a government in the U.S. that Haiti is going to become like another Cuba. And, and so when I, as I was wandering around Haiti, I, I did this short assignment for the U.N. And there's a slum in Haiti. This is the story. So it's called Cite Soleil. You can look it up. So Cite Soleil in 2005 was the kidnapped capital of the world, like above Colombia. Above Jeffrey Epstein Island and all of it. <laughs> This is dangerous, <laughs> dangerous place. It's a slum of like half a million people right in the capital city of Port-au-Prince. And nobody that's not from there goes in there. I mean, people like people in Haiti, Haitians don't go in there if they're not from there. They're terrified. It's like the boogeyman. I mean, there's so many myths and legends about the place. But the head of political affairs for the UN organizes for me going there. I guess I could say this. I guess I'll say it. So. The uh, we, I, I meet at her house. She's an American woman who is running political affairs there at the time. And I meet her at her house, and she's going to have me go into Cité Soleil because they're not allowed to at this point because it's there's a total war going on with the warlords of Cité Soleil and the UN and the Haitian government. I mean, literally, like, mortar shells and 50 calibers. I mean, they're blowing buildings up and everything, and it's the total war. Do you war. feel like so, your life's in danger at any, uh, during this time? you got to, right? a whole other thing. But 
you kind of just check out for that. So, but she assures me that she's in contact with the head warlord and that she wants to get, and that UN is forbidden to go in there. Like they're not allowed to send anybody in. Nobody can get in to find out if people are starving to death or whatever. So she's like, I, she could send in unofficially somebody. And she assures me that the head warlord, Amaral, who is, who's like a, a head chopping off like lunatic that, he's going to protect me that I'll be okay. And I just say yes to this stuff. So I did it. I said yes. And when we met at her house, a guy from the state department from the embassy came over and he's a total spook and he got spooked and he wouldn't go. So a spook wouldn't go in with me, but I went in and when I went in, I had a translator with me cause I didn't speak any French or Creole at that time. Like I didn't know anything. And the first thing I did was I was like, okay, this is either true or false that Amaral is going to protect me. So he ha- we have to sneak in to the slum. We literally go through this sewage area. It was disgusting to, to sneak into this massive area. And when I get in there, the first thing I do is I go to the main street in the slum. And the translator freaks out because he's like, we're all going to be killed. But I know that I got I to gotta let Emerald know I'm there. So I walk out and he finds me. Of course, he's, he's on this great big motorcycle. And it's like, I know he's not going to kill me because I know that that the woman has called him. A hundred percent. You feel this way? Not necessarily, but you gotta, you have to be, you have to be a hundred percent. You feel like you're, you're there. It's like skiing. I mean, once you go, you go. Yeah, I mean, right, I don't right. know. Like you got on stage, like there's no going back. Like yeah. you gotta start strumming the good, I don't know, whatever with right. the metaphor, but right. so he like, it's, he lets me be there, but he's like, it's whatever. He's, he yells at me or whatever. Then he says, I'm okay. So I start wandering, like taking pictures everywhere and doing my thing. And this guy, when I get to the to the wharf in the area, comes up to me and he pulls out a Glock and he's got all of his guys around him and he puts a gun in my face and says, give me all your cameras. And I'm like, you have to kill me first. Because again, I knew that if he hurt me, that Amaral had hurt him. And and uh, so this guy's name is Fose. He was this low-level lieutenant. And we, when I said that to him, he like looked at me and then he put the gun away and was like, is that me? Like, I'm, we're friends. So every time I'd go back to Haiti, I'd go see this guy. And he rose up through death and destruction and, All you know. The, the mafia style He stuff. became the number two of the whole country, of the warlords, the, the, the gang members. But they're not gang members like our gang members in the U.S. They function differently. That's a whole other discussion. But so I become friends. And so when I, I'm becoming friends with this family and, I, and I'm in Haiti, I'm in and out and in and out. This family, one of their cousins becomes the prime minister. And this guy, Laurent Lamont, who's actually an extraordinary guy. And he was um, a tennis bro who had a big telecom company in Africa, made a fortune. So when he became prime minister, he like had to take a step down. Like you know, he's like a Trump of Haiti. But he wants to help. Isn't yeah, it? like sincerely he does. And yeah. I can say that. That's what the book is about. It, it is about, about what he actually did. But he had never been in Cité Soleil. And so... I, I ended up, when I went to work for the government Holy of Haiti, God. The, the assumption was I'd live in a mansion where all the foreigners live in the in the hills of the capital city. But I moved into Cité Slum, and that's where I lived for three years. So I would leave the slum, and I'd go to the palace <laughs> to, to work. I'd go back to the slum. And that's how I met Tony Blair, because I became like a party favor for the prime minister. So he'd have like visiting dignitaries oh and he'd be God. like, Hey, 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 come over here. You gotta tell the story. You gotta tell the story. He's like, Tell Tony the story of 
of where you live. And so I took the prime minister for the first time to introduce him to those guys in, in Cité Soleil. So anyway. That's insane. It's, so and so and, and so do you did you meet you met the prime minister of Haiti that would become that through the that that whole slum of that and meeting those warlords. Yeah, yeah. God almighty. Was there any time that you weren't protected and, yeah, it, and, a, yeah. lo, and a local messed with you or Yeah, I mean I I fled the country for my life in 2016. I mean, I had a hit put out on me. And, and where was where was your boy at to to help you? He out? had a hit put out on him because of me, in part. Oh, okay. but the there are factions, and he was becoming because I lived with him. It put him at risk, but he didn't care, and so he had a break with with the Gabriel, who is now the head and is still the head. I can't believe he's lived this long. And so in 2016, Prime Minister had been ousted at that point. I was still there. What was and the threat? What are, what kind of threat are you to them? Just well, everybody out, thinks that you're you a know, spy. A spy. They think you're DEA or whatever. Right. Whatever movie they've watched. I mean, sure. It's like you know, in 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 Haiti, DEA is really active, and they know about the DEA, so they all think you're DEA. But like kids showed up. I have these pictures of these kids with cardboard boxes at my house one day that said FBI and police. <laughs> <laughs> like, because of movies they watch, though, yeah, right? They, they watch. They watch American movies. But like in when I'm in Eastern Europe, it's CIA. Everybody thinks you're CIA. But then people think I'm FSB because they think I'm Russian. When I moved to Bosnia, I was working in Bosnia in 2008. These old ladies in this market in Bielina, Bosnia, wouldn't sell me food because they call it a Ruski, Ruski. They all thought I was Russian, and they hate the Russians in that part of Bosnia. So he, he, yeah. Andy brings up a good point. Yeah. What, what 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 like how many times have you been in a situation where when you looked back on it? You were like, I that that could have been it for me all the time, right? I mean, but but you can't, like you said, you can't be, you can't think that way in the moment. Otherwise, you would never do anything. Yeah, I mean, you'd never. And the reality is, and and I've been fortunate. I mean, I mean, I've been fortunate that I've I've just been fortunate. I mean, I've had some bad things happen to me physically, but not at the hands of people. I mean, the threat from people has been there, but I've been fortunate. I've never been robbed. I mean. It's, uh, really? Yeah. The and, cameras and everything, and you've never been robbed. But people are good. I mean, people are generally good. Even bad people are good. What I mean by that is that there are, there are criminal enterprises, but most people aren't part of a criminal enterprise. Even people are members of gangs, even in the United States, even in Nashville. People, and if they, if they call you friend, if they think that you're not a threat, or that, what well, if they call you friend? And there's there's some steps to get there, like sure. to build that rapport. Sure. Um, people bring you in and they protect you and they take care of you. And so my rule is is find the person who has authority, and it's never the po- politician. So I mean, are you are you becoming? Have you become more uh, in, intrinsic? I guess is the word. Maybe it's with the, with the the gangs in Nashville. Through this project, yeah, I mean, I've, I've that's not the focus of the project I'm on in Nashville, but it's it's definitely, I mean, it's part of the story. Is, is that something going? I mean, is that something that we don't really? Oh, there, I mean, all, major stuff. All the major gangs are represented in Nashville. All of them. Really? Yeah, Crips, Bloods, Gangster Disciples. I mean, MS13, all that stuff. Yeah, they're all here. The Kurdish. I mean. Hold that thought. Yeah. We're going to go on a break real quick. <laughs> we'll be right back, and then we're going to look at some of these pictures, too. But I kind of want to hear about that a little bit more, too. 
sponsors for how valid is the validity. Aurora Nutra Science. Guidance Whiskey. Sony Mobile. Modern Media Geeks. Titan Motoring of Nashville. Hertz Odyssey Mobile. Cartronics of Nashville. This is how valid is the validity. Cool. All right, so... Not not to get into laughing stuff, but I I do kind of want to understand this a little bit. When when you say that these gangs are represented in Nashville, it, it you know, where is like I you know I've lived here seventeen years. I, I I mean I knew there was some gang activity, but I mean you guys are, I mean that's that's a whole different ball game. If all those major, especially the MS thirteen, which obviously you know that was a big deal a couple of years ago with the terrorist, you know whatever. What are you have? Is it is it how scary is it? I mean, is it is it that deep in this in this city? And I I just never seen it before. Well, the reality of of all of our lives is we live in silos because you can't know everything, you can't experience everything, and it's also one of the problems is that that's the otherness of the world, is that we literally don't know our next door neighbor. Like it's it's not like unrealistic to say that we don't even know our own spouses and children. I mean, I they're like, agree, agree they're like literally one. the room next door, like we don't, we don't enter their environment and, and sort of get quiet and listen and be in the environment. We just, we, we do our thing. And so we're unaware of most of our neighbors and, 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 you know, I wouldn't recommend anybody trying to get to know gang members because, you know, when, when you do something in a criminal enterprise, then, your defenses are up and you know, you want to hurt people and keep them away from you because you think they're going to hurt you. So yeah. you go start walking around some neighborhoods in Nashville, you're going to be at risk. But if you have a reason to be there, the most important thing to do is to find the most dangerous person and, and, and do it on some sort of neutral ground the best that you can. If you can, I couldn't that day in Haiti, but yeah. and find, f- let them know who you are and who you're not. And then it's just a matter of trust. And if somebody sees that you're not screwing them over, they give you greater and greater access. And if you treat somebody with respect, I mean, my rule is it's an arbitrary number, but I say that I, I don't publish or show or say 90% of what I learn about people. I don't know if that's an accurate, you know, sure, that's I understand real, but it's like in your mind, you I, have a, a base. There are lots of things that I could publish and, and make money off of it. Well, for example, um, uh, Centoya Brown, you know her, the the girl that was just given clemency last year. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So when she was released, it was total blackout from the media, and everybody wanted a piece of her, and no media got any access. But I was called by the publisher, and I happened to be in Nashville at the time. They knew I was in Nashville and said, "Would you be with her the moment she is released?" So I was actually with her, and this is kind of a funny story. I don't think she'll mind me telling. So the deal was, is that. They have the veto right on everything. 
and I was going to be with her from from the moment she's released. So I'm inside the prison grounds, like, and they had to like NBC. Everybody was TMZ. They were all there, camped out, trying to get the first pictures of her freedom. And they snuck her out. It was like a military operation. And we like zooming down these back roads, and we did the transfer in some abandoned, like another prison facility here in Nashville. And the deal was they were going to disseminate these photographs. So whenever you have a totally unique photograph, this is why the paparazzi exists. The paparazzi is that you get paid every time that photograph is published. So one photograph, like being on the front page of every newspaper in the world the next day makes you, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars potentially one photograph. But that's really rare when that happens because it's like a matter of chance. Right. But on this night, it was like being handed to me. It was like, here's a deal. You get to be with her. We have the veto right. We'll decide what's published and whatever. So it happens. I'm there. I'm with her. First kiss with her husband, the whole deal. You know, the photographs are actually crap because of the situation and the security, like, freaked out or anything. But I have the photographs. And then they make the call, and they're like, we decided we don't want to publish any of these. And after you miss that first day, those photographs are done. They're not, they're not really worth anything. And so TMZ was trying to reach me. They wanted those photographs. They would have paid great money for it. What is great money in this regard? Well, they probably would have written me a check for $50,000, like, right then, just to have the rights to publish one photograph or whatever. But I didn't even take the call. I directed them back to the publisher. And because of that is my point. I'm not saying this to brag about myself. I understand. But this is my rule. Because of that, Centoya and I have become good friends. And I'm telling you, that chick is the real deal. She's an awesome girl. So she if, she didn't deserve to go to prison all those years? Probably. She would say she did. I don't think she's ever said she didn't deserve prison. No, but just for the That's amount of time, other, right? Even that. I don't think that she's ever said she didn't deserve life. Like anybody, she would not want to serve it, and she's so grateful she's not. But that's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah. Her attitude isn't like, I mean, she sees herself now as a victim of trafficking. But what's beautiful about her story, she says that she never even saw it that way before. She's like, she's helped me see young girls differently. It's like, you know, she's like, you can believe certain ways when you're young. And it's not the right way to believe. But she actually believed that she was in charge of herself and making all those decisions. She's a good girl. But my point in the story I'm telling you yeah. is that I could have cashed in that night and I would have lost all a that, deeper story right, and a right. friendship. But because of that now, she's given me this crazy access to their life. And so in the end, I'm going to have a really deep personal picture of her first year of freedom that nobody else would have because of trust. And that that's my point. My point is... So, that yeah. be, that being said, at what point in time... I mean, don't you have to make money from that at some point? That So, that trust that you've built, right? It, it, at some point in time, don't... you? Because your time is is valuable and you have to make a living. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's the paradox, or whatever it is, is that there's a quote, one of my favorite quotes, and it may not be verbatim, it's Buckminster Fuller, the famous you know, architect, engineer who gave his stuff away. I mean, he's had patents, everything made money, but he said, I decided early on whether I was to make money or make sense as the two are mutually exclusive. <laughs> right. Okay. And definitely that doesn't that. mean that you can't make money off what you do. I make good money doing what I do, but money can't be my goal. It just can't be you. 
you, you in the business you're in, I've I've been privy to sitting in with some well-known artists in their creative process. And I've heard oh, the stories are some unreal. beautiful stuff yeah. and I've heard some awful stuff. And I won't name the person, but I've I've been with the person that just outrightly secretly admitted it's like I hate this crap I produce, but I know how to make a number one. Like I know how to do it. And this is what I'll do because I like the money. And he just is miserable with his life. But I know this other guy, Chris Gantry. I don't know if you know that name. Man, Chris Gantry. He's like almost 80 years old. He's one of the original outlaws. It was Chris Christopherson. Um, oh, really? Shell Silverstein. Willie Nelson and... and, um, and, and Johnny Cash, yeah. Willie Nelson. It was Chris was like one of the original guys. When you go to the, you know... Hall of the museum, you know, the whatever, the country music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still producing. He's like such the real deal. He just wants to communicate. I mean, he's not done great at making good money, but my point is, is that a true artist, like a true artist has to be driven by the desire to communicate. And I don't know if I'm a true artist, but as a journalist, it's like creating, finding the thing and saying it truly is just so important to me. All right, so here, but, let, that, that yeah, segues yeah. right into this. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things that I, 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 you know, when you go and look for pictures to use, like in background stuff, you know, you know, like when you're, what's it called when you, uh, like you go, you can, the free pictures you're allowed to use, the stock photos. Stock photos, yeah, 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 yeah. stock images. Yeah, bring this one up, Anders. Okay, so why I why I picked this? I love right? you, man. I am so glad I'm here. I think it's so <laughs> random that you would pick that out of all those Mexican photographs. Right, right. So I picked this because this is a picture that I would try to take. Right. I'm, I'm I was always into flowers and and that kind of thing, but the color, and then no color, and I just, you know, what 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 is it that why did why why did you take that picture? I love this question. Okay, well then answer it. You were there. So we're there. That's in this, you know, we're in this family's ranch and they've got all this history and all this stuff that they do and we know about the, you know, the father has died, the mother. Anyway, we're there and that's where we're we're drinking the whiskey and everything, a little bar area. And I look over and I see that and I think, those are real. Like those are real flowers and plants and herbs or whatever. And somebody, somebody made that thing. I was like, somebody made that. They made the holes. They made the pottery. A long time ago, too. A long time like. ago. And somebody went and picked that stuff and put that in there fresh. Like, that's that picture was, like, I wanted to take a picture of it because I was photographing evidence of their character. Like, to me, that that was, that was a piece, that's a piece of, that's a photograph of evidence of the, of the character of that family and that house and, and and it's something about their history, but it's the subtle things and the quiet things that tell us the most about things. Not the signs, not the things that that meet the stereotype. That, in my opinion, it's you have to get through that and find those little things that really tell the picture, tell the story of of values and and really values of like what we believe and care about. Not in the craftsmanship, but you can. This was made with a purpose, and it was made with somebody's yeah. hands, and it was, and a piece it was, is missing. You know why it's missing? Because it fell out and broke. Yeah. You know who broke it? You, you did. Tango. The the like elephant-sized dog. But even that was like, <laughs> that's part of the story, you know? Because I was like, I was like, why why is one missing? Like, what's the story? And uh, Alvaro was like, 
Dango's big ass like broke it, you know. Like, it's well, like t- so- hey, just to let you know, there was a picture with the dog, the Tango dog or whatever, drinking out of a fountain. Yeah. And I was gonna put that one up here, but his penis was so gargantuan it wasn't even out. <laughs> it, the, just the holster for it. <laughs> the holster. That dog the jumped hol- on my back. I mean, one morning are you joking me? Yeah, yeah. Well, see, so here, this this is why I picked it because I look at that and I'm like, I'm trying to figure out how do you. I love the beauty of the color and the non-color, right? The saturation of the color and then the non-saturation. I love, I love that non-saturation stuff. But it's interesting to me. You always wonder: Do people see the same thing that you see? Do, do people not feel, but like, am I? Is, is the color green the same to me as it is to you? You know, I always wonder that, right? And and I see stuff like this, and it catches my eye. And I, I'm like, okay, what gets me is 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 how you center things. It also, is is something that. Um, I, I was very interested in about this picture. Uh, can we put that up, Andy? So, it, it's to, it, like why I say that is, I I I find it fascinating how you look at, and you've been doing this for a long time. Why you leave the space to the right and then to the left, right? Does that what 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 was the picture? What was the idea behind that picture? Like, what was the feeling? I'd, I'd be asking the interior designer <laughs> myself because uh, for an OCD person, I'd be freaking out the way that that's not centered over that little uh, right. But but is there was there something else there? Do they put something else in that thing during mm-hmm. a certain point in time? You know what I'm saying? Like, to me, that that's a great picture. But and 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 people tr- don't understand the importance. Well, Andy, it's just like music, right? Space and. You know, mm-hmm. like sometimes if, you, you you know, somebody that sings too many notes or plays too many notes, you want that space. It's the same way in photography. But what, why why did you take that picture? Well, I took that picture because I'm just, I don't know, I felt the house. I, I love, I, I, I try to paint with my camera and I'm very intentional about it now because I'm, I'm trying to write poetry with it. I know it sounds high-minded, but it's, I love lonely feelings to me it's like a piece of somber music and it just caught my eye but there's also a lot of symbolism in it i mean you know the family and so and i also sometimes when i'm making pictures they're part of a series and i see them only as that this was i knew this was going to be part of a series i wanted when i when somebody sees the matador story and they see the the whole series of him preparing that's part of that are you allowed to show that yeah yeah that's why they. Oh, give you me are access. allowed to show it. Yeah, they've given me access to it, but I'm going to save all those until I publish. Okay. You know the Andy, story on the. I on I, the I wasn't way. sure to, that we could put any of that stuff, uh, and not that I had that much of it anyway, but I I didn't know that we were allowed to post any of that. That that is an interesting ball game, yeah. and the fact that you got to do that was unbelievable. Um, and and we're gonna go. I'm gonna go deeper with him. He's gonna let me, you know, follow him around. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick he, with he him. He actually gave him one of his capes. Which was a big deal. Yeah, like it was wild. He he signed the capote to me and gave it to me, which was a really big deal. Huge deal, huge deal, big big deal. And 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 uh, I'm glad you remember it. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it got worse. Yeah, I, uh, trust me, I was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was I was there. I was there. Uh, uh, unfortunately, um, so so uh, let me let me see. I want I want to make sure that, that that was my that was one question I had. Th- this was another one. Was this a random picture or was this a picture that you? That you took on purpose. Well, I took it on purpose, but again, you might call it random because one of the things you're doing as a photographer when you're working on a story, especially with like, so 
I shoot both digital and film. When I was with you guys, I was shooting all digital because I didn't want to check any luggage, so I didn't bring my film camera. I shoot large format and medium format film. So they're really big cameras. It's a lot of equipment. How to big can one of those pictures be blown up? Massive. Like, like how big? I mean, like I can blow it up, you know, 400 feet tall and it's going to look beautiful. Really? Yeah. I mean, when I'm shooting on film, on film like, I'm, like I, I shoot on a four by five, you know, negative. I mean, it's a, it's a massive canvas. And so you think of a 35 millimeter negative. Right. You can blow up one of those pretty big, but it's, um, I mean, large format film, but these are all shot digital. So on digital, you shoot a lot more because you know that you have that. Right, that's you can. right. And so, and I was also shooting with a new lens. I've never used a long lens ever. So I shoot all with mostly prime lenses, mostly wide angle. So I have to get really close to the action, which is really dangerous when you're in a war zone. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you're like, you're right with people that are shooting the guns and being shot at. So, but so something like this, uh, you probably fired off a lot of rapid shots to get that. I rarely do that. So oh. like, I don't put it like, like pro football sports. You know, I, don't, yeah. I don't do that. It's way too much to edit, but I did a whole lot more. So like that photograph, and this is another thing, this is where I'm a really lousy photography, but I love it. I love setting up the camera, even the digital camera to where the settings mimic my black and white film, mm -hmm. meaning lower ISO, um, you know, I open the shutter so that there's blur. So there's all sorts of possibility for mistakes because I love mistakes. Yeah. I love it when there's a bit of blur and, and it becomes almost abstract. And it's like, I can't take the credit for it except for the fact that I'm, I'm trying to let that happen in, in yeah, the Yeah, but in I mean, some image. of that, like you also have, I mean, I think that one lens that you had was it's a cost five, about. It. I was going to say millimeter. Yeah, I mean, I mean, lens. right. I mean, this it costs more than this house, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just like so. I mean, you know, I I get what you're saying, but at the same yeah. time, I mean, you're using some good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I have great equipment. Yeah, the Bob Ross mentality, you know, happy mistakes, a, <laughs> happy little mistakes. I am Andy, Bob I'm going to tell you Ross, something yeah. right now. I'm going to tell you something. If I would have had the equipment he had, okay, I would have never had. I would have never, never had a real girlfriend. Yeah. All right, because I would I would have been in every girl's window in high school, uh, from about ten <laughs> from about ten meters away, uh. taking all the pictures I needed for life. Gross. Gross. Uh, uh, okay, so let's go into... Well, I'll tell you what. I'm gonna, I might as well just show this last one that I, that I found uh, interesting. Oh, man. So what? that's th this kid is 17 years old, okay? He runs this farm. He runs it. He, he, he It's like meeting... He's one of the most interesting people I've ever met. Ever met. I mean, it's unbelievable. The way he holds himself, the demeanor, I mean, it's unbelievable. And this guy is only 17. I mean, the only difference between him, him right here... And at 50, is that his face is going to look like a roadmap. <laughs> That's it. Other than that, th this guy's not, will be, you could go down there uh, 25 years from now, and this guy's going to be exactly the same. Walks with his hands behind his back like a lord. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just, you know, he's, you know, he, if he wasn't, he could be his own dad. What, what, what did you like about that photograph? I like the darkness of the face. You know, and, and, and I'm not sure what the purpose of that was, but I mean, how you, or how, if you did that on purpose. Yeah. I mean, I shoot, I'm in a way I'm, I'm no longer a journalist because I, I stopped my, what's called stop my camera down two stops, which I make everything darker. It's like a romantic, like a Baroque painting, but it's, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I like it cause it's like, I'm trying to say something about myself, but I look for it in people's eyes Yeah, and you find that thing. But I intentionally make things 
dark. It's just how well, I like the candidness of it is to be is what's most striking. I mean, he's not smiling. He's not trying to portray any sort of uh, emotion. It's just him. It's candid. It's him. This is me. Yeah. And, uh, that's, and then, the, yeah, the juxtaposition of the contrast is really cool, too. But how, how, I mean, like, how, do you do you want to meet that guy? Yeah, he looks pretty interesting to me. I mean, before we say anything about him, I mean, does that picture make you want to meet him? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, you know, but answer it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, you can tell, you know, I, I'm a fan of people's eyes. I like to look at people's eyes. You can tell, you can kind of see it's a window into the soul, you know, and you can see that there's uh there might be some pain in there. There's some pain in there and some, in some real life, you know? That's, and that's uh, amazing is that there's a, there's a little girl that's uh, leak a little bit. It's part of this Nashville project. And, uh, she is, she's brilliant. Like a, she might be a genius. I mean, just crazy, crazy smart and beautiful and always happy. And as soon as I met her, I could see through it. I saw through her eyes and I, my family and I, we've become good friends with her family now. Matter of fact, she was, we went and saw breakfast club last Sunday. She's 13 now. And it's like one of her favorite movies. We saw it at the green Hills theater. It's the coolest thing ever. The breakfast club. Yeah. They oh, played, they played on the it on big they, screen. They, 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 it was yeah. so cool. And we, uh, I photographed her in the afternoon and she has let her guard down with me. And this girl has been through a lot. And her photo, it's like she's so beautiful, but then her eyes turn and look at you, man, and you just see so much yeah. depth and hurt mm-hmm. in this girl. But she, if you just meet her and stand in the room with her, you never see it. But the camera, when when somebody gives that to you and they open up, man, it's like the eyes say so much. That's what. That's how I feel. Oh, you're off it. I was gonna show him again. Well, no, I, I, I mean, this was another picture that you had mentioned that we talked about and uh what what was the deal with this one well this is a assignment i was working on in 2009 actually with a, a un group um and i was i embedded it with the mosquito indians in northern nicaragua that's uh you know with the iran contra affair these were the contra you know rebels and uh things were heating up you know again back in 2009 and and i was embedded with them and this just this was this photograph was published. It's actually I self-published a book after that year because that was such a 2010. I was in 14 different countries. It was just a a nutty year, but uh, and so another thing is I don't do any manipulation of my photos. Like right, okay, this, that was the other it, thing. Yeah. That was the other thing. But that photograph to me just I just in a way it's superficial. I just love the light, and is, I mean, uh, is that film or digital? That's film. Yeah. You large, can tell a difference. It's like format. analog to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like an analog board or like versus a digital board. I mean, you could tell a difference. So you say, well, like a large format is like four by five negative? Yeah, this is like, that was actually a 35 millimeter um, camera. So Jeez. it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you know, you could equate that to being like 4K. It's just much more information into the film that when you blow it up, it still retains yeah, its Yeah, it's integrity. emulsion. It's a chemical. I mean, it's just the light collects on the chemical in, in a different way than it does the digital processors. Now, there are some really big digital processors, but there's still nothing in existence um, like, like film. Them. Like when you see the, the, the cameras they use like in the, in the spy planes, I mean, those, it's incredible. Like these giant, you know, 8 by 10 negatives with these massive cameras, you know, from 30,000 feet. 
I mean, and they it, could see it's everything. Incredible, like you can see everything. So this picture, what's the what's the most? Uh, I don't know. What's the most? What's which characteristic is being shown the most through film in this picture? Like, what? What gets you the most? Well, what I'm saying is like, can you point out something about this photo that's like that right there is the effect that that film gives? There's a there's a texture. There's a quality. I think this was Porta. Um, film Kodak Porta film 160 I think and it's they, literally different films have different temperatures and tones and and it's just uh, it's like velvet you know it's like mm-hmm. the way it the way it the colors print and yeah, you know you look down on her bag and around it almost looks like it's painted you know yeah. like it's, yeah and that's uh, the effect I love that I love yeah. that I mean that's and that's sort of what I'm I'm trying to do intentionally now I wasn't then I didn't like I now I'm like when I like one of the photographs I'll show you here from these dogs is, you know, it's it's it looks like a romantic painting, a baroque painting, and it's I just I, I I it's weird. It's like I said, it's almost superficial. Sometimes it's not even about the story. It's just the way the light falls. I just mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with it. I mean, sometimes like I see light on somebody and the way it falls, and I just I have to capture it. And I love the the way that the human form moves and then it becomes its own story outside of the the news you know what i mean like yeah. it's it becomes almost like a sculpture you know? don't you don't you feel like though that you know it's the people that don't think that what's being portrayed in the news and and, and the pictures don't you feel like you know you need to be doing that stuff you know you know what i'm saying because it's almost like people that say i would never want to be in politics because uh, you know it's it's all corruption it's all you know they, they they ruin your life and all that kind of stuff are we not being hurt by the fact that people yeah. like right i mean yeah i mean this is killing us i, I mean, would it, love to matter of fact i mean i told you I'm, I'm i'm teaching a course at fisk university in nashville this semester and we're we're talking about developing a program there my dream would be to have a program at Fisk that's like a workshop, like the Iowa Writers Workshop, to where we created a, a training program where people would, Harvard would send their best and Columbia and whatever, and they would come and, and we would work together to sort of work on the values. And then you could go back to whatever your industry is. But if you're working from that core value of, you know, protecting people and and looking for the universals, like the, the things that we have in common. And it's like writing novels, like Hemingway novels, instead of, I don't know what the comparison would be. Like news is just, it's not even pulp fiction. Like news is so superficial. It's oh, yeah. such fake drama. I mean, it's like the worst kind of, you know, romance novel. I mean, it's just, it's like just a mad dumb. magazine compared to. Yeah, a, it is. It's like, cause something. it's so superficial. But it, but, and, and it's a freaking truth too. Cause you know, as much as we even travel, I never see. The amount, I mean, you you really have to go into certain places where people are just so down and and so depressed and so just feel like that the world's against them to to find this stuff that's because kinda, the problem with it that's kind of the problem though that we're seeing a lot too is like a lot of this stuff is anecdotal. You know what I'm saying? They're they're taking it's all anecdotal. Yeah. So the here's how news works. Um, news is thematic and subject driven, uh, and now. Uh, Scholars can argue with me. I'll go to the mat with anybody. Here's how it works. Everybody, everybody, every person's story that you ever read in news is only they're using that person's story to illustrate the point they're making. That's how news works. It's like this story is about war. This story is about this 
war campaign. This story is about this event. It always gets down to how this person fits into the statistic, which is what are statistics. And it's like, so it's thematic reporting. It's always that. In the days of Life Magazine, it was inverted. That's why Life Magazine was so groundbreaking in how they functioned. Now, it became its own piece of shit in the end. But it was groundbreaking because it inverted it. For example, W. Eugene Smith's story on the country doctor. It wasn't illustrating rural medicine. That wasn't the point. The point was this doctor was an interesting person like Alvaro. And Eugene Smith went to be with that person. That person's life then brought you into rural America, but that wasn't its point. Right. You learned about all sorts of things through that person. It's inverted reporting. I am only interested now in that type of reporting, and nobody wants to hire me for that. I would love to do, uh, I still string for the New York Times, and I would love to do a piece on the Matadors for the New York Times. But honestly, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I just did, is that I don't think they would ever let me tell it the way I want to. I have to, if I tell the story about the Matadors, so you weren't there the next week, I cried. Okay, so backstory really quick is that I have a hard time crying. I mean, it's almost impossible. I mean, I, I long for it. I pray to God. I, I literally ask God to help me get into I'm Get like, it out. I'm like, am I a sociopath that I don't feel bad and can't cry about like what I've done wrong? In the, like, I can't cry. And, and I've cried. But anyway, when I was shooting the second Matador, it was a it was a bad fight, and I don't know. I I was watching him. I'm shooting through that big lens, and when he was finishing the bull, when the bull was being killed, he put his hand on it and walked with it. It was so much mercy and grace. I literally started getting choked up, and then I just started bawling. No kidding. And that night, it was even more than the other guy. Like we stayed up all night talking about. He was asking me what was it you saw, and I'm like, what I saw was. I've always struggled with believing in God and I do believe in God. But in that moment I started crying because in that moment I was like, this is what grace looks like. Mercy. Like this in this moment of death, I felt like I'm the bull. Like this is what, this is how God treats me. Like God is so merciful. And I was like, I want to be able to tell a story and include that. I don't want to do this. Oh, like I mean, yeah, you never thin, be able to do that. Thin little yeah, like, no. because that's actually how the bullfighters see it. Right, but the problem you got is that you got a handful of people that aren't going to. But I got to be yeah. honest with you. I mean, and I told I told everybody. I mean, you know too. I mean, I could never watch that again. I would never watch that again. That's it's difficult because I'd never do it again. I'm I'm not advocating. Oh, I get the it. Slaughtering of bulls, but but I know that what Mauricio Jose, that second bullfighter, after spending the whole evening talking with him, and I was sober that night, is uh, <laughs> it's it's deep. And it so, is deep. I, but I, and that's why I choose to tell the stories I way the way I choose now. And back to an earlier question, the whole thing about money is that people that want my stuff really got to want it, and they got to pay for it. And yeah. so, so okay, I got a question for you then. As a, as a person who is like you're a master of your craft or master of your, in, your instrument, do you feel that? Uh, technology and iPhones, portrait mode on the iPhone, things like that are starting to kind of devalue what right. you do. Thank well, you. It, it definitely to, does. It definitely does. I was trying and, to say that. And actually, I'm really, I have an iPhone, but I'm very anti-iPhone, and here's why. Um, the iPhone doesn't actually take a regular photograph. It's a composite. That's why it looks so good. So it's rapidly grabbing, it's bracketing the light, 
and then it's combining those into a single photograph. It's multiple pictures. That's like the HDR. Setting. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Yeah. But it's it's that's why it looks so good. It's fill light. But the, that's not what the world looks like at all. Oh, at all. Mm. The world and is a world I, of shadows. And that's what and that's what I was light tr- temperatures are so so different. So right. is it does it not get to you a little bit with all of the technologies? I mean, you to look at a picture and not want to touch it at all. It doesn't. It, you don't. It doesn't even affect you at all. Oh, I don't want to touch it because I, you you can believe me or not, but I don't touch it. And I want you to. I want a person to feel like, holy crap. And then they got to trust me on it. But once they trust me, it's like that becomes a portal now. They forget about me. It's like, okay, that actually is there. Right. That light was there. And even though I paint with it, like I, you know, I, I stopped down my camera, but it's, that's actually, that's how the shadows were. That's, that's where the light was. Like this moment was there. I even don't, I don't remove, I think it's in here. I don't, I don't, if I got something on my lens, I don't take it off. Like I don't, I don't, I don't do anything to the photographs. I may dodge and burn just like you do a negative, like a little lighter shadow, but like this one, see that dot? Yeah, that's, that's a flying saucer. That's that's a piece of dirt on my on my camera lens. So that's one of those dogs. Yeah. One of those shepherd dogs you were talking about in uh, in Georgia. Yeah, that dog is running thirty five miles an hour right there. Are you kidding me? He would have eaten this a lot. Yeah, put it on this one, Andy. I think that one's probably better. Thirty-five miles an hour, and you're oh, and he's and running alongside. Yeah, and I'm shooting out of our our truck window. Wow. Sorry. Yeah. So, Interesting. what is it? What show us some of these? What yeah. like what's the is this is this one of the puppies? Yeah, and again, it's like how do you tell a story, right? It's a I can just tell you about this puppy, but that's not how I'm telling stories. So I picked out these pictures for you because. I didn't know what to talk about. I'm like so nervous about talking about things. It's like, I'm not that smart. And it's like, but I, I picked out some pictures that these are moments where my life was like deeply changed. And that's, I want to tell that story. I don't want to just tell a, a national geographic story. Yeah. I want to tell you what happened to me. And so this is, this is Sopo. And so she is the third generation in this dog pack that I've followed. And her grandmother, Pato, was the warrior of the pack, the one that saved me when I was first there in Azerbaijan. Then her mother adopted me, Maro, and she is, the, which was, she died this spring. Who did? Maro did. Oh. She was killed this spring, which is, yeah. Anyway, and this is, whatever. So she's a third generation, and Maro was the mate of the Alpha. So this dog will grow up to be a great warrior and the shepherds know it it's through the lineage so they're guarding this puppy like she is but she's so weak she can't walk so they migrate they, they're transmigrational we're gonna we're on a we're climbing through the mountains in the Caucasus mountains you know at eleven thousand feet there um the tree line is seven thousand feet so you're in the dead zone above seven thousand feet it's not like colorado where it's over ten thousand feet yeah. so you imagine there, like, 11,000 feet is a whole lot higher into the, the danger zone than, than here in, you know, in our mountains. But this dog can't even walk. She has to be carried. And on this morning when I saw this, again, it's a religious thing, but what went through my head was I've always struggled with, eh, I'm, why did God become a 
person and a baby at that. And it was like in a moment when I saw Sopo being carried, I was like, holy shit. This is like a picture of Jesus. This is like the God that becomes like the infant that has to be carried. Like, like baby today, totally helpless and, but going to grow up one day to be a warrior. And I, so shooting that, that was what was in my mind. Like I wanted to capture this moment and my audience is my daughter. Like she's an atheist or she thinks she is in. Sure. So, and I'm not trying to sell her on what I believe. No, no, no. Sure. Yeah. But she's always asked me what I believe. And it's like, I'd rather show her a picture and tell her sort of this analogy that I have. And, and so, so this picture has several purposes. It's, it's part of the, you know, sort of a typical story, a geographic story of this dog breed in this pack. But I don't want to leave out this, this deep, experience i've had with this pack and sort of what they've taught me as well does that make sense yeah. i mean this makes instagram and it's it just makes a, me want to get rid of instagram you know? it's this just a like, cool picture too you know it's like just so that being said yeah. that you brought up national geographic i mean is that is but, that is that do you feel the same way about national geographic yeah yeah i mean is there so, anybody that you like right now like as, <laughs> i mean i mean no, I, it's, no, it's just uh is there any 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 place that you you know any I, magazine any any articles any any newspaper I mean is there any place If there's a magazine in the world that that wants to publish my stuff and work with me and let me tell these stories at these layers I'll entertain it I haven't found them yet So sorry Jeff I love my buddy so True Magazine really cool magazine um True Magazine was an old old men's adventure magazine it went out of publication I think in the 80s and then Jeffrey Gray um from New York Magazine, New York Times, um, he bought it, bought the rights, and redid it. And I was one of the first guys with him, you know, telling stories. And they've kind of gone a different direction, but he was kind of going there. But there's not a publication I know that's sort of working at the level of, you know, Life Magazine. And and I've 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 wondered. You ask about saturation. It's like I don't know that that it's marketable. I don't know that the world. I don't know it could happen. But I often wonder, like. Man, Life Magazine, when it was working well, was so extraordinary. There's nothing like it. Are we and talking it, up to the, what, 80s? Yeah, so the actually interesting fact, one of the last stories they did, I think it was 1989, and it was called Living in Poverty in America, and then it was an address, like something, something, Washington Street, Portsmouth, Ohio, my hometown. Oh, Ohio boy. And my last name is Holsinger, and one of the characters, like one of people's story is Holsinger, but no, not a relation. It was like all these families <laughs> living in this this one house. It's a brilliant piece of journalism. It was one of their. When did last Life thing. go out of publication? In eighty nine. Soon after that, it really? Was like, it was ninety, maybe. I don't know, like exactly when. You can look it. Is up. it really like, been gone that long? Yeah, I mean, they still print things, but um, and it, maybe it went on for a few years after that. I don't know, but it's, so so. But even by that's then they shame. weren't. That's a shame that they started even, making cereal and that was it. But they weren't. Oh my god! <laughs> but the, to me, if I had the money to to launch a magazine that that looked like it, I would do it in the same form. It, but it's not it's not profitable in the sense of oversized. Oh, yeah, right. That's right. That's right. Big holding it. But I. That's why I brought prints. I believe in tactile stuff, and that's why I sell my stuff the way I do. It's it. Part of the debate I'm having with myself right now is it really limits my stuff. 
But it's like, I don't want you just to have this on your phone looking at it, because what's that? I mean, I'd rather a few people have it that could hang it up in its proper size. Most of my stuff is really big. And that you could enjoy it and experience it. And I'd rather speak to a few people than... So well, is there than, is there a, pr- a print that I could get to put on that huge wall downstairs? I, um, I, I mean, like, what if, if I have to mortgage a third of my home... So I have two prices on my phone. Oh my god, here we go. This is when it gets down to the nitty gritty. So the Is there a twenty five fifty in this? There's a there's a price that most people can't afford, and that's how I you know yeah. earn some money. And then the other price is free. By free I mean like I hurt myself with it because even the cost of my prints, even unframed or anything, they're pretty expensive because it's the they're highest huge. paper and the you know, the best that What if I is. just want an Office Max one? Um, <laughs> what if I just want stable. a, a forty foot office max? So I either I either charge the the big price or it's I give it to somebody. Can so I? Can I? Can you I, could have one. No, I don't want one. I don't want one like that. I'll pay for it. I'll it just be it'll be monthly installments until I die. But no big deal. <laughs> what can you can you say? No, nah, maybe I, that's even a bad. I, now I won't even ask. I won't even ask. Ask. I want to know how. What's the best? What's the biggest one? I mean, that, I mean, are we talking put your kid through college? So right now there are four images um, that I actually exhibited last year. None of them have sold yet, and um, there are three of them are fifty thousand, and one is twenty five. Okay. 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 I mean that that's doable. And that's I mean, the price tag you put on them. That's that, uh, that's what you're hoping to sell them for. That's that? they they'll either that's they're only going to be sold for that. Yeah. Now these are are too big. I I don't think I'd ever give any of these away because they're pretty expensive to print and have made. But what would you do with them at that at that point? If they if if they're they in storage, do. yeah. But I mean, you so right. So if they don't sell, then then you would what do you do? I mean, do they, do they just sit in there. That's a good question. So I'd never done this before. Like we did this pop up show last year. And, and again, it was one of those things where I just said yes to it, but I wasn't ready to do a full on show. And I did it with a few other artists and, and I did it and they're like, you know, their prices were typical prices. They, I was the only photographer and they were, you know, from five to $7,000 on their artworks. And, and like, even they were like, what the like, I'm like, these are the prices on these because they're that special to me. And, and I have, I mean, one of those photographs are. I think a copy of them is the 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 one is here. But so why wouldn't it never having done this before? Why wouldn't you start it out at a price that would get these things out a little bit? And maybe I should. I don't know. I just, well, I mean, if you're looking at business, the business side of this would be, you know, you're, there's no demand yet, right? Yeah. So so you make the demand by getting this in a few people's houses, and so where people look at them, and and then the demand goes right. I mean, that's how well. This- to answer your question from way back, which also answers that, which is you know how I why I do what I do. In 2010, Noah and I, we were I think it was 2010. There's the most expensive photograph ever sold. And I always forget this guy's name. I think he's German, and it's like the river on the Rhine or something. It's it's almost Yellow River ab- by P. Freely. I knew that one. <laughs> it's like almost abstract. I think it's. Four point some million dollars or whatever. A picture, a photograph, yeah, and it's it's digital and it's manipulated, which is weird. And when that sold, we were walking. We were in South Lake, Texas. We just got back on an assignment, and we were talking about it. I was so incensed by it, and I said, "You know what? That's when I made the decision." And I was like, "Because people were pressing me to do what 
other people in my world do, which is get a gallery rep and start doing volumes of my photos and all that. And I was like, you know what? I have no interest in running a photo business. It's like, I love doing what I want to do, like what I do. And I was like, here's what I'm going to do. And I was like, as a joke, I was like angry. And I was like, that's bullshit. Like that photograph is garbage. I said, I'm not going to, what is it? Oh, well, uh, what I got is Peter, Peter Licks. No, that's fake. Peter Licks going to go to fuck. (laughs) He's going to go to jail. Why? That guy's a fraud. Why? Why? I love Peter Lick stuff. Do you? I mean, I just like the light thing, you know, where you put the special Peter bulb. Lick is, like, ripping people off. So, Peter Lick bought his own photograph. That's what they're pretty sure of. So, he's not the official most expensive photograph because he didn't sell it through Southbees or anything. He he did a backdoor purchase. They think he bought it for himself just to have that notif- like notoriety. Peter Lick is... But, I mean, it's his... What? The Pond, Moonlight, Edward, Edward Steakin. That's one of the older ones, yeah. There's another one in How much did that there. one go for? Uh, 2.9 yeah no 2.9 million yeah so anyway so before peter lick yeah that's a whole no 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 hold on for a second hold on hold on i go to key west a lot okay peter lick is looking for guys like you who who he's going to tell you that you're going to buy a a photograph that's an investment it's going to it's going to you're going to be able to turn around and resell it someday and it's a lie you'll never be able to resell that thing and recoup your money ever it's gonna it's like a a freaking you bought a Chevy, like Impala, <laughs> and it just lost half its value off the Are lot. Are you kidding You're never me. getting your money back. Andreas Gursky. And Gursky does the marketplace. No, it's an, yeah, maybe it is. And it's like the Rhine River or it's something. It's the Rhine like, River, yeah, the yeah, lower yeah. Rhine, yeah. 4.3 million. Yeah. And that's. And yeah, you're right. He's the same guy that did the uh, 99 cent. Uh, yeah, but that's kind of a cool photo. Though. He's an interesting guy. I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, like. Hey, do me a favor. Look up Peter Lick and find out. And look, look up a Peter Lick a painting from uh, uh, 2000 or a, a picture from 2000 and how much it's worth right now. See if you could find that information. So he has this whole. He has all these salesmen. It's like basically they're like the they're the whole model of how he does his sales is the same as the is the timeshares. It's the same principle. I mean, it's right. So that okay, that that kind of goes toward my point. It's 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 you you can't. It's sometimes not about what you feel. It's about what. Yeah, I should knock that because my my friend Adam will. Hey, Adam, buddy, Adam Adam's got like they got. He's got a couple of these. And well, no, the, my my point of it is is like I, you know that's most art is done in this fashion. That I mean, let's face it. I mean, there's some shitty paintings. That you know that people buy their own paintings to make themselves into something or or a certain yeah. uh, gallery, right? So whatever, that's not you. So really, to me, it's like you kind of, you know, you get those paintings down to twelve five and twenty five, you get them in somebody's houses because you don't care, you only do four a year. And but let then me finish eventually- my story. Why why I did it this way? And again, I think you might be right, and I may need to revisit it and check my <laughs> ego. But here's why I did what I did. I did it being almost arbitrary is I was so pissed off about this photograph, not like telling us something about us as people. I was just, and I I said, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to say no to all those galleries. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to sell a single photo until I have something that's just worthy to tell the story. I said, and when I do it, I'm going to charge $110,000 for it. And I'm going to burn the negative. Only one will ever be made, and it'll, and and I said, and maybe then, because what the way that art works is, 
first somebody buys it and then the resale is when they at auction that's when they get those big prices that's how art gets its value and photos don't usually have that but it's like and my idea was i'm going to take back the most expensive spot in photography but take it back for humanity and again i was just i was like just piping off and then i started writing about it and thinking about it and then i just wouldn't sell anything so you know patricia arquette the actress yeah yeah so we're in haiti we're like getting shit face drunk in 2012 <laughs> and she's like i want to buy this this one photograph that was in national geographic she's like i want to buy that photograph and i was like here's the price and we were in haiti and it was a photograph in haiti it's like the price is you're going to come with me to go visit this girl and then i'm going to give you the photograph but the price is you got to go meet her you got to meet her family and she wouldn't do it i wouldn't sell it to her and then her agent contacted me when she got back to to California. I was like, you know, I want that photograph. I'm like, I told you the price. And she's like, ah. I'm like, no, that's the price. You have to go and visit Charlene and know her. And my thinking was, I was like, if she does this, everybody that walks in her house, she's going to tell that story. She's going to tell Charlene's story. She's going to be so vested in that girl. Yeah. That won't be a photograph anymore. That's going to be like, she's going to she be. she wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it. Yeah. And it was like, and it's like I wouldn't sell it to her. And then that became my thing. I was like, I went even deeper to the, my commitment of not selling. <laughs> yeah, and great. so I didn't sell anything until 2015. Because, and then because you, because you were driving the Chevy Impala. And then when I, move on. and then when I did, I, I, somebody bought one of them and, and I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And so I'm, I may rethink it, but if I do, it's not going to be just to make more money. It's, I want to make money. And I, but more important to me would be people getting access to it, having the photo and telling the story. If there's anything, that's the thing is that, and my daughter, daughter challenges me on that is that, you know, more people that I should let more people in on the story, but I want them in on the story. I want them to know the people that I've met because that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's like, I want you to meet the people I'm meeting. I want you to meet Alvaro and know him and the matadors and, and even my story, I want you to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I want to, I want to tell you like what I'm learning and I don't want it just to be a picture on a wall. Now that, I guess that's the age old thing of the artist. Buddy, I'm gonna, uh, we, I, yeah. I, we have to leave it there, yeah. but I got to tell you, this has been, I could tell, I could talk to you all Man, night. For I love long. you guys. This I want to, I, I want to do it again. Yeah. I want to do it again. And next time we'll have a little bit better idea on uh, <laughs> how to get stuff up on the screen. But everybody, uh, F flip uh, Holsinger and, and you can look it up, look it up at uh, flip Holsinger.com and some of his photos and stuff. And, and we'll, we're going to do some other stuff in the future. I, this is really interesting. Um, and, and next week, we got a, a Hope Song. Uh, Bob uh, from Hope Song is going to be here talking about writing songs with the vets. So it's, it's going to be good. We appreciate every, Thanks for coming, Flip. This has been oh, great. Man, I'm my glad pleasure, I got to meet honestly. you. And we're not, I, I, know, I know there's so much more, and, I, and, and then I need to get that free uh, painting from you. But uh, as, as far as that goes, we're all good. We'd like to thank Aurora Nutriscience. Uh, 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 who else? Who else? Guidance Whiskey and uh, Verdoliac Law and, and uh, Sony Audison. Sony Audison. Hertz. Hertz. Uh, Hertz, Sony, Audison, and Her Audison, Hertz. Hertz, Audison, and then Sony Mobile. Hertz Donuts. Oh my God! <laughs> Seriously, Andy. hey, the donuts hurt me. <laughs> and then uh, just one more time for this, Andy. I just want to show you in the gym one more time. If you could bring up my, 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 my. Oh, you want to show me in the gym? Yeah. <laughs> if you could just bring this up one more time, I'd appreciate it. 
Just one more time. Just uh, okay. <laughs> Maybe one more time after this. Let's just do it again. Andy's going to hit the gym. Damn, that's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny. That Over me. and that's all. It's you in the gym. No problem. That's not me. So, are these real or not? What do you mean? Are these? Uh, did you print these off? You just got these printed off for the show. Yeah, I just printed these off for us. Yeah. You, let me put them up in here. All right. Or just a couple of them. Yeah. I want to put them up in here. Put them you right there. You don't know the stories of them. Well, that, but you got to come back. Okay. That's what go. you got to do. There That's go. what you got to do. Oh, all of them. Okay. Well, we can go that route too. <laughs> I can make a collage out of these and put yeah. them on the wall downstairs. Just, some of them are weird. Like if you don't know the story, like that is weird. You don't know the story. That's naked people. That's naked people voodoo. That's a guy though. Yeah. Well, okay. What? One more. One more story. What is the story behind this? Because even Andy this was. One? Yeah. So. We'll end on this one. Yeah. So last fall. Um, so basically, there's a bed. It's a white room with a couple of towels and a big curtain hanging down. Yeah. And so a friend of mine asked me to, um, to do this street art thing with them last year, and where people do paintings, and I, I started writing all my photographs. And she said, won't you bring some of your photographs and do that live for people? And I was like, this is a dumb idea. But I <laughs> I did it. I said yes. And I got there. I had to totally like get drunk to do it. Sorry. And uh, <laughs> and that, I print, I don't know. I printed this photograph. I took this photograph in 2008. I never showed it to anybody. And I, I, I know what I felt when I took it. But it wasn't a clear thought. But I felt it. And yeah. so I pulled this photo out. And I told him, Sophia, my daughter, was like, what are you doing with that photograph? And I said, I'm going to write a confession on it tonight. I knew I was going to do it. It wasn't even intentional. It was like I had to do it. So I set up in Printer's Alley, and I did it. I printed it really big. And this couple came by before I ever wrote on it, and they they wanted to buy it. I was like, well, it's not for sale. I'm just kind of doing this. And then they came back, and I'd, I'd already written on it. And I, I was weird. Like, I wrote about my divorce, and I wrote about, like, the empty bed and... It was just this stuff, like all this stuff came out of me. It was cathartic for me. And the, they came back and they're like, you're in Printer's Alley to do one thing on a Saturday night <laughs> and get drunk. I mean, you're not there to buy art. <laughs> and this, they just like threw money at me. They just had to have it. It was like this cheap paper print or whatever. And they paid a couple hundred bucks for this thing that I was like, whatever you want to give me. And, and, but it was like, it was so meaningful to her, but it was good for me because that night I was like, this works. Like, there's definitely a, a world for this kind of communication. Oh, my God. All day long. I could take these pictures. Matter yeah. of fact, just leave these here for me. <laughs> They're yours. Yeah. I mean, you could do this all day. People love this, right? Yeah. Especially when you put it in that price range, and it still has some sort of heartfelt thing. And maybe, maybe it should be my agent. And I, but I'm loving that. I'm loving the writing on them and well, telling I don't want, those I, things. Well, I, I will say this. One thing I, <laughs> I, I know, and Andy can contest to this as well, but when I turned music into a job, it, it really lost a lot for me. And it took a lot of the creative aspect out of it, that even wanting to do it, you know. And it's only been through doing it for so many years that I've been creative at all. Because, you know, you just, if you stick with anything, you're going to eventually do something, you know, with it. Um, but anyway, no, leave these here. I got, I'm, I, let's see, that's two, four, six. I mean, yeah, it's enough. I need to, I got a house painting. <laughs> <laughs> Flip, thanks so much. Man, Andy, thanks a lot. I appreciate you. Yes, and uh, this is How Valid is a Validity, episode 24. We'll see you uh, next time uh, on Wednesday night. Thanks so much. Dude, you guys are awesome.
this is a real you're pleasure awesome. hanging with you're, you. You're awesome, Flip. You're awesome. And, and then what's he going to say after it's over? Huh? <laughs>